Howdy, folks. Widget Walls from NeedCoffee.com here. Listen, on behalf of myself and the two guys who actually do know what they're talking about when it comes to music, thanks for downloading The Soundboard, our humble music podcast. Just a quick note here to say thank you to everyone who's helped support Need Coffee and its podcasts down through the ages. And I know we mentioned this at the end, but I wanted to make sure and say this up front here on The Soundboard. Because Need Coffee is listener-supported and because this podcast actually does cost things to put out there, and because I'm the guy with the company that pays for everything, trust me, any help you do provide is greatly appreciated. Whether it's going to needcoffee.com slash support and throwing a few coins to us via PayPal or bookmarking needcoffee.com slash Amazon and using that to go to the Amazon front page and buy stuff you were going to buy anyway, and we get kickbacks that way, every little bit helps to keep the lights on and the microphones humming. So thank you to everyone for your support from the little music podcast that could. It warms us, even when the threat of a boy band revival makes us cold. Enjoy the show. Okay, so I'm good to go? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. From needcoffee.com, this is the Soundboard, episode 32. I'm Jam Tuffley. Yes, the rumors are true. We, we have returned from the holidays. Dear God. Um, coming up on this show, uh, we will we will uh, look back at the year that just flew past, and uh, we will look forward to uh, new releases coming out and Coachella 2013 and how you can use that as a barometer for new releases. I'll explain really shortly. And uh, we'll also uh, say goodbye to Dave Brubeck, uh, in addition to uh, other various and sundry madness. Uh, joining me, as usual, on this thing, which is usually one of them hosting, but uh, I, I'm, I'm at the wheel this time. So at the wheel this time uh, is me, and uh, joining me is uh, Mr. Widget Walls, uh, the guy who is in charge of these things and special tonight in charge of the podcast. Hello, sir. Uh, I, oh, I is that special? Yeah, well, it's, it's special if I could actually pull it off this time. Uh, yes. yes. Yes, we recorded one last time, and I, I due to technical difficulties and the wrath of God, uh, it, it was lost. So, uh, you know, I had toyed around with call, actually calling this episode 33. Well, and it, just the, not speaking of 32. The lost 32. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, maybe, so I, just maybe, thought it was like, I just thought it was like the censors from corporate weren't happy. Yeah. yeah. These, these two have, have, you know, full, full license to just kick me to death next time they see me. So, no, cause no, I, no. cause I, cause I just thought, well, we could just call it 33 and just not mention it. And then, like, when we break up, we just do the Let It Be thing and just put it out afterwards. Uh, and then we can do uh, uh, episode 32 naked and just remove all the producer's stuff that they put on top of it. Yeah, we take out all the overdubbing. Yes. That works for did, me. Because you didn't, you didn't want the choir on your track anyway, did you? Just the soundboard anthology uncut. Also joining us is uh, Critic and uh, host of KDHX's Justiposition and... Uh, Doctor Who, uh, the author of the uh, Doctor Hooligan column at Englotopia.net. See, I plugged it. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Rob Levy. Hi. Hello. So, gentlemen, we're going to be talking about uh, new records here uh, shortly. But uh, first, there are a couple of records that I'm looking forward to, and I know there are a couple of Rob's looking forward to that are already out elsewhere, but we won't seem to get them for mm, a while, if at all in some cases, and this is mainly due to international release dates. So kind of a, since we haven't kind of since, you know, we want to get started with an easy one, get get our footing as the podcast goes along. I wanted to start off with uh, why the hell is that? Why the hell do we have international release dates? 
Uh, I have no idea. Um, uh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure Rob will chime in in a moment, but I, I now I have seen. I will say this: I have seen that maybe some record labels seem to maybe be realizing that hey, we can at least release an MP3 version over here and make some coin, uh, because you'll see. I mean, I think we've talked about they this before. They did that before. with Joy Formidable, actually, the one that oh, just came out. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I think I think we've talked before about how you'll see an import CD on Amazon for like $29 or something insane like that. But at least now I'm seeing, in addition to the $29 import CD, you know, a $9.95 MP3 bundle. Um, so at least there's that option. But why everybody's doing that, I have no idea. Okay, from what I understand, from... Years of just frustration with this, combined with working in a record store and dealing with labels a lot. Um, I think the main holdup isn't necessarily the labels or the artists. I mean, I think there's a couple things. One, sometimes an album will come out in England and it'll do really well, and then they'll think, oh, I guess we will put it out over here. Case in point, the first Muse record. People didn't really think that they were going to catch on over here, so that record came out. It did really well in England, and they put it out over here sort of just to see what happened, and it blew up. So there's that, which happens. And then I think a, the big, big difference, though, is that, yeah, bands will sign to a label, and they'll have a record label that works their stuff, but these labels have pre-existing distribution deals. So, like, Warner is so big, and Sony is so big, and BMG is so big that they all have separate distribution. So if a record store or a buyer wants to order a CD, they have to – they can't go directly to the label. They have to go through the distributor who has it. And I think that is the holdup because sometimes they – a record that will come out in, say, England or in Japan will not have the same distributor in the United States that it has there. So then they have to negotiate a whole new distribution deal to get the record out. And I think that that is why you're seeing more like immediate online – uh, availability for records because then the labels and the artists directly control who gets what records. Um, and this also, I think, ties into when you go to a concert and the band is selling their CDs at the table and they say, if you buy our CD, we get more money. It's because of that. Because I think the system, again, with the label is so weirdly set up to where they have distribution networks. I think there's ADA, there's WIA, and there's another one. Uh, and these may completely not exist anymore. But uh, when I used to order records for the record store, there were distri dis different distribution companies that you would get a CD from or a record from, and they would send you a sheet, and these are all the records that they're working, and they can get them. So what I don't know is that these companies you know, sort of bid to get the albums or if they have pre-existing agreements. But I think the distribution system is where it gets tricky because you can't really get a record out without – or at least in the past, you weren't able to get a record out without distribution. So now the internet has kind of changed all of that. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, at some point, what's to stop Rough Trade and Domino and Excel from just releasing stuff to everybody yeah. or, at the same time? Yeah, or, for example, you know, the Matador group, which is like Matador, 2 Pure, Excel, and 4AD, they have, I think, a pretty similar distribution to where the stuff comes out in England and here at the same time. Um and sometimes they'll do things a little different where they'll put a record out over there like a week early and it comes out over here a week late. Um, but it also might, too, have to do with the artist contract and also with, you know, royalty payments. Because if an album comes out in England, they get a big chunk of upfront money, 
right? Like, let's say there's a new cure record. It comes out in England. They get a bunch of money for putting out the record. Their contract may stipulate that they get sales from the worldwide sales from the album for, say, I don't know, six months. So if they sit on the record for six to eight months and then put out in America afterwards, the label banks more money. Okay. So I, I, that also could be part of it. Um, but that is my sort of understanding of it. I, I think it's very similar to why you don't get product on DVD uh, in America that you get in England and things like that. And I think, you know, one of the big reasons why Napster happened uh, when it happened is because the distribution pro- uh, pro- the distribution channels for putting out releases was really, really starting to be outdated at that point. And people just said, wait a minute. We've never had an alternative to getting CDs and music. So the labels are all of a sudden, okay, we have to deal with the distribution network, and then we have to deal with this internet thing. What are we going to do? Which battle is easier to fight? Um, and a lot of the times the labels will control the distribution. Like BMG, still, I think, to a certain extent, controls BMG distribution, but it's a completely different branch of the company, and which, you know, from working at a large company, that sometimes one arm of the company that does one thing and another arm of the company does another thing, they never actually know what each other are doing. So that's kind of what I think is going on in a nutshell. Okay. But so, you're right. It's ludicrous that we have to put up with it. It is, seriously, because, folks, the noise that's record. It was out, you know. It was out in what UK in what September? Which album? The Noise That's Record. Yeah. Well, was again, out- and again too, I think some of it is demand because I think yeah, um, you know, there's some records that are no-brainers. But again, I think you know, somebody in the tower, if we were to call a label and say, "Hey, when's that new Noise That's Record coming out?" I think the only people that yeah. probably would call would be you and me. Yeah. I mean, you know. what was it? Uh, Sky? Do we? Did Sky at Night ever get re- the, the last I am Clue record? Did that ever get released domestically? No, I don't think that it did. But Rough Trade is Rough Trade was finally set up to get decent um, distribution, which I don't think it had before. You know, yeah. um, so I think that's some of it. I mean, the, but there there there's you know for the longest time the Divine Comedy records took forever to come out over here because nobody wanted to release them. Well, the uh, Bang Goes the Nighthood, that came out pretty quick, though. That came out like a week after, I think, in the UK, didn't it? I I don't remember seeing an American copy of that over here yet. I I know it went to uh, MP3. It did not, the physical copy. But it wasn't in a physical format. Yeah. You know, um, so I think a lot of it is just a lot of the bands that sort of have that sort of very English sound don't get their records coming out over here as easy. I mean, the Spectre record, which is really, really great, is not is not out over here yet. Um, so there's a lot of records that sort of fall through the cracks that don't come out. And I think to a certain extent, you know, the England's still the testing ground for the English band does really well over there and they and they do really, really, really well. Then they come out over here and give it a go. But then I also think that a lot of these bands are turning away from the label and their distribution network and going to these independent promotion companies. So more and more you'll see like, okay, uh, I'm a band. I'm on a, I'm on an indie label in England. And even though we've got distribution, I can, they can put out the distribution, but I'll work with a company that specifically does record radio and print and media promotion. And they'll handle my social media in the States. They'll handle getting the record on radio in the States. They'll handle like, getting the songs on commercials and, and, and in various types of TV programs. And I think the, the, the company now, the promotion company is sort of taking the place 
of all of that stuff that the labels used to do. And I think the distribution is going to be the next wave where that comes. Because I'm starting to get stuff now that they're bands that are English, but I don't get it from a label. I get it from a distribution company. And that's happening more and more frequently. So I'm thinking that that could be a motivator behind that. Okay. All I'm saying is noise ads soon. I know. Labels. Sorry, I didn't mean to soon. turn into a thesis. But no. for example, the New Order record that last that you talked about on Weekend Justice. The, yeah. The, that I see Which no is Lost American... Sirens, by the way, folks. Is that's what we're talking about? The Lost Sirens record. But I see no, I see no release date for that in the U.S. Um, it's out. At, I, I, now I don't know if the physical one's out, but I know yeah. it's. I, I know it's been out because I bought it last week. So mm-hmm. I, I, I know it's and, out uh, digitally. Yeah, and I don't believe the new Pogues live album is coming out over here either, which is like uh, no, I think it is. Uh, okay. I I think it is because the 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 version that I couldn't find was the limited edition uh, DVD CD bundle. Yeah, but but it was coming out in various other versions here. It was you, not coming out on vinyl here. Were you interested in that? Uh, I'm always interested in pretty much everything. I mean, you know me. Uh, okay, well, let me see and, what we can swing. Yeah, sure. No, it's 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 uh, the the bits of it that I was able to sample online, and and the bit that I you know posted on what turned into Music Tuesday because I've been sick as hell. Uh, was actually quite good. Now here here's my question: Is okay? So yes, we're we're seeing more MP3 bundles showing up where there's no physical copy of the thing. Is the barrier to entry of like cost of putting something on Amazon or putting something on iTunes is that such that like for example with the noisettes where it seems to me that even if you had a small following in the states that a small following is better than no following and then you can build it uh so I mean like what do we know what the barrier to entry is or is it just laziness and stupidity well I I don't know I think it might also be too that the label has to be in charge of, of signing off on it, going off onto those kind of formats. Because, mm. I mean, you, you'll see a lot of the times where a band will put a, something to go on iTunes or it'll go on uh, Amazon or Amazon UK or Amazon Canada. But I think the labels, I would imagine, under the contract have to have to sign off on that mm. because they probably don't want to violate their distribution deals if they have that. Now, right. the solution to this is more and more you see bands – that'll put on their website or send out emails to people in their fan club. You can buy the digital bundle from our website now, you know, and that is becoming more and more frequent. So I suspect that, you know, if you see a band selling their own digital bundle of, of, of a product, um, that that means they get more takeaway from that. I would, yeah, I would say so. And I, and I make it a point now to as much as I can, if I know the artist is getting as much of the, money as possible. It's, it's my way of supporting the artist. I want them to get the money. So I try to buy the product from them or their site. Um, and, you know, it's a little, it, it, sometimes it's problematic and sometimes it's a pain in the ass, but at the end of the day, you're supporting your artist and it's a way, you know, to do that. And I think that they also sort of, in the way that iTunes and sort of started off being like the coolest thing in the world for labels. I think now it's kind of coming back to bite people in the ass because they realize that they're not going to get, it's it's the same form of them losing some money. You know, they'll get a percentage of the money, but they won't get as much as they'd like. Whereas I think you, you get a little more money, maybe a lot more money when you buy directly off of their site. And that is what I, what I suspect. Um, 
and I, I can imagine, you know, if you if you're putting out the Noisettes record and you want to put it on Amazon, I can imagine very very simply someone in Amazon saying, you know, Amazon England going, you know, I'm glad you you put that on iTunes, but you kind of didn't clear that with us, so take it down. Or for this amount of time, we're going to put it up at this price because you get this much money off of it for this amount of time. So I think that that's sort of what's going on there. All I'm saying, Noisettes <laughs> label soon. That's all Tuffley brought up the subject to say. He doesn't care about anyone else. He's lying in bed at night. His wife says hi, good night, dear. He's like, Noisettes! Noisettes. Fucking Noisettes. So, speaking of new releases and, and tier number two of our new release <laughs> discussion, uh, and it's also a fun way to combine stories because I got the Coachella lineup. So, um, I came up with, and I looked at this, having looked at the lineup, and having compared it to a release schedule, and by the way, for, for you guys who don't like religiously keep up with these release schedules, like when this stuff happens, this is an easy way to do it for those of you playing at home. What you do is you take the lineup when they announce something like Coachella. You take the lineup, right? And you, first of all, you remove the reunions, remove all of the reunions, remove everybody who put out a record last year, <laughs> and pretty much. Pretty much, you can tell what music you're expecting in the coming year. Well, to a certain extent, because you, you know the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs are going to go to Coachella because they have an album coming out in April. Yep. That's one. Yeah. Uh, Modest Mouse have a record coming out Chili shortly. Peppers. Yep. Well, Chili Peppers had a record out last year, which I didn't know because I don't listen to Chili Peppers. But yeah. <laughs> I was informed of that. Um. Uh, let's see. Well, you want uh, to go through yeah. the lineup first? Yeah, let's go through the lineup. Uh, yeah. Can I can I first say about this lineup? Holy fucking shit! Exactly. I mean, yeah. like Jesus Christ, people. This is like I'm so glad that I live on the other side of the continent because I would try to figure out a way to go to this, and then I would hurt myself. Yes. And by the way, let's also uh, do the do the dispelling the internet rumor, uh, which I believe they've already done. But Rolling Stones not here. Yeah, this is not the festival that the Stones are going to play if they're going to play one, folks. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Now the other thing too, before you go to the lineup that you can bank on, yeah, most of the time, is that there will be an overlap between Coachella and Lollapalooza because they're both owned by the same company. Yeah. And that company just bought Lufest here, which is our festival. So yeah. you will start to see in these American festivals, less so with, I think, Bumbershoot and uh, the ones up in the Northwest, you'll start to see bands overlapping, playing both festivals. So if you do not get tickets to Coachella and you feel really sad, just remember, at the end of the day, they're going to want to make as much money as possible. So they will put a lot of those same bands on another concert bill for another festival, but they won't tell you until after you buy your Coachella tickets. And don't forget the cruise. And there's also South by Southwest. So yeah. you get South by Southwest and Coachella, and then you've got Lollapalooza in June. So, yeah. So uh, let's, let's, let's go into this lineup. And again, they're doing the same thing they did last year where the same lineups are going to be on two different weekends Yeah. in April. So, Theoretically, there's more tickets, but theoretically, there really isn't, and we all know better. Uh, but uh, the lineup, uh, the headliners for the Fridays are uh, Blur and the Stone Roses, who, by the way, is a double bluff because the Stone Roses are doing a new album. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. And, and uh, in addition, the Yaya Gaz, Modest Mouse, Lou Reed, who probably has two or three new albums. One of them with with a metal band, which is probably a bad idea. But uh, Jurassic Five, Jurassic Five is coming back. I don't think they have anything new coming up, but I know they they've they're doing the live thing um, since that was popular with a bunch of different bands. Um, How to Destroy Angels, which is uh, the uh, the Trent Reznor, the new Trent Reznor band, uh, Trent Reznor and his wife and a couple of his uh, co-conspirators. Uh, from the soundtracks uh, have gotten together to form a band. Uh, their record's coming out, what, in March? Yeah, I think that's right. I yeah. had it on my list. Yeah. Uh, Tegan and Sarah, uh, whose record is out in about uh, about two weeks or so. Right. Yeah, and they've got a best artist. of. They have a best of out now with one new track on it. Yeah, and uh, uh, I forget the name of the record, but uh, I, I think it's it's Heartbeat or something like that. Heartthrob. Arthrob, okay, that yeah. that's out in like uh, that's uh, not very long. Um, let's see. Uh, Japan Droids usually have an album in works somewhere, so that's not counting though because they put uh, they put a record out last year. Johnny, well, they're, they're also that, that that record they put out last year is finally I think sort of going places. Yeah, the, 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 that thing's getting some momentum on it now, so that could be one of those last year things. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, the Johnny Marr record, which uh, n- nobody on this panel knows is even coming out um, <laughs> anytime soon at all. Nor has anyone heard it on this panel. <laughs> nice. uh, uh, let's see. Um, does anybody recognize anybody else in that lineup for the Fridays? Oh, yeah. Uh, Bass Nectar's there. Yeah. Uh, you got Grinder Man on Friday, which is, uh, you know, of course, you got Nick Cave then on Sunday. Well, but... we were getting to them, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, metric Which is, is on supposedly, there. Supposedly, Grinderman went on hiatus or split up or something, something, which is kind of weird since they're all in the same band anyway. Yeah. So, uh, Metric stars. Um, you've got Alt J on there uh, for Friday. Uh, also, uh, let's see who else was I seeing on there. Jamie XX, which I would like to see. Be- Beardy Man out of the UK, which is he's a fantastic beatboxer. Um, who is it? Uh, Beardy Man. He huh. uh, he he does he he's one of these guys who does the beatboxing thing and loops it and basically creates uh, layers of sound and then just goes with it. He's quite, so I like quite it. amusing. I think so. I, okay. I I find him amusing. So the Jamie X thing is a DJ set, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. He uh, if I remember correctly, he he did a uh, fantastic uh, uh, Adele uh, remix that had yeah, yeah that had. Um, Oh crap! Uh, uh, Charles Gambino in the middle of it. Yeah, which is fantastic. So yeah, yeah, I would I would be interested to see his stuff. Okay, so uh, the Saturday night lineup uh, is being headlined by Phoenix, who have a new record coming out. Uh, I believe in March. I believe it's out in March. Every uh, record is coming out in March. Huh? Everybody. Every yeah. record. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the XX, uh, the Postal Service, which surprise is uh, rewriting for uh, live shows only, apparently. Mm. Well, it's to uh, celebrate the 10 year anniversary of that record. Yeah, of the one record they have. And they're which, doing. By the way, uh, give up, give up is fantastic, but it, guys, it's only one record. Come on. Jesus Christ, that's been 10 but years. The thing is, 
yeah, you may say this is a whole podcast on its own. Yeah, that record is 10 years old, put out one record, blah, blah, blah. But that thing still moves over 100,000 units a year every year since it's come out. There are people that still don't know that record exists. It still sells. It's just weird. Um, and as big as that um, uh, Death Cab gets, the bigger Death Cab gets, the bigger that record gets. Yep, yep. So it's sort uh, of like now when you enroll in college, you get you, you buy that record. Sort of. <laughs> just like when you're uh, when you're born, they hand you a copy of Thriller. Yes. Mm. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cigarettes. Yep. Is uh, is on the lineup, and I never see them in a headlining act over on this side of the fence. So that'll be interesting. Oh, for the festivals, you mean? Yeah, for the festivals. I never well, see them headlining. They do that all the time in Europe, but they never do it in the States very much. So, Well, it's different over there because you can uh, close a festival over there with something mellow, and it's perfectly acceptable, whereas here yeah. it has to be like Party Rock City. Yeah. And I'm going to do festivals on both continents this year, so I'm, I'm very curious to see how the changes are going to be. Yeah. Um and then, but, then you've got New Order, uh, minus Peter Hook, we should mention. Yeah, well. Uh, obviously. Um, who uh, reportedly are also doing a new record, um, even though they kind of have one out now. But well, um, the EP that Peter Hook put out where he plays some Joy Vision songs and stuff, it's horrible. So. Mm. Uh, let's see. Hot Chip, Grizzly Bear, uh, Knife Party. Yes. Uh, Benny, and I'm gonna mess up this name. Benazai, Benazai, is it? Isn't it Benassi? Benassi, yeah, yeah, Benny, Benny, Benny Benazi, I think. Oh, something, yeah. something, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tudor Cinema Club, which all big fans of. Uh, Moby's doing a DJ set. The Descendants, uh, Yesair, uh, Franz. Now I don't know if Franz Ferdinand had a record coming out, but I, but I've looked this up and it is on the uh, the list somewhere. Yeah, I think they have a record that they're working on, but I don't think they – I think that's coming out later in the year. Yeah. I would imagine it is. Um, uh, Saturday is the loaded one. Uh, Violent Femmes, uh, Simeon Mobile Disco, Spiritualized, Spiritualized. Um, mm-hmm. And and, and yes. I'm hoping they're not getting just a 45-minute set because that would be one song. Yeah. <laughs> well, the same thing with Cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but they're in a headlining spot, so we know they at yeah. least get an hour. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Pussifier's on there, but no perfect circle, which, and, 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 and still, I have the explanation of perfect circle and Pussifier are touring separately. I don't know what's going on with that. But, uh, and, and there's a tool record coming. Yes. So that's on my list. F- figure I that out. Um, let's see, um, Bat for Lashes in there, uh, Dropkick Murphys, uh, Janelle Monet, who is probably on one of the smaller stages, but she does have a record coming out this year, supposedly, still. Uh, um, let's see, ELP, I think Pusha, Pusha T, I'm, I'm noticing, uh, Biffy Claro is in there, which they're starting to gain some traction over on this side of the fence. Uh, I'm just jumping around here. Uh, Wombats are on the list, which, yes. uh, by the way, they're great live. 
go and see them. Um, and I think that's that's about all all the interest I have for Saturday. Anybody else see anything they wanna they wanna call out? No, but I just I just like to, to go ahead and and put the idea out there that uh, it, I would like to see an album that is a collaboration between Sigur Ross and Maynard. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Produced by produced by Danger Mouse. Uh, produced by Danger uh, Mouse. Oh, 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 excuse, oh, excuse me, my pants are tight. Sorry. Sorry, Cassette. <laughs> Moving right along. He could have had too much bacon, folks. We don't know. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> Sunday night. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying the last time they headlined a festival, people torched it. That's all I'm saying. That's all he's saying. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, Vampire Weekend, Social Distortion. Uh, Wu-Tang who, I guess, are a fixture for these things now. Um, well, they have a record coming out. They do. I, I know. I was going to say they do. Um, which you always have to wonder about these days, the, the later era Wu-Tang records, but we'll see about that. Um, Pretty Light, uh, Tame Impala, The Lumineers, uh, which I guess are this year's um, Jesus. Mumford & Sons because we couldn't book them sort of thing. Um, Sorry. Um, I just, can, no, I just said that today to somebody. Thank you. Yeah. Ted can dance. Uh, mm. LaRue actually does have a record coming out. I think it's later in the year. Um, LaRue. Oh, LaRue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, James Blake, uh, Gaslight Anthem, uh, Paul Oakenfold, Dinosaur Jr., who probably has a record in their back pocket pretty much yeah. all the time. Well, he didn't um, really tour on the last one. Very, very a large tour. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Um, I see OMD on the list. They have an album coming. Yep. Uh, Airborne Talks event also has an album coming. Um, da, 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 what else? Um, I'm seeing Cloud Nothings. Seeing Alex, Alex Claire. That could be a DJ set, but I don't know. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? What else? Div way, way down at the end there. Uh, and Little Green Cars on the uh, on the Sunday lineup. Yeah. Uh, also, Excision is on there, which uh, has some good, yeah. grindy stuff. Nice. Yep. That's. I mean, I, I, I would almost need to like do both weekends just so I could see everything because I would, I would fucking sprain something trying to get from stage to stage. Well, I will lose about thirty pounds. So. Okay. So now, canceling out all of those new releases that we just talked about in a clip. Now we get to what leftovers. What else are we excited about? <laughs> and I'm going to take a big one off the board. Uh, Bowie. Who knew that was coming? Uh, David Bowie has a new record coming out in March called The Next Day. Uh, Am I the only one that's not excited about the Bowie record? It's a Bowie record. How can you not? Well, have you heard the last few? I did, and I actually did enjoy them. So I'm, 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 I am actually. I know. I know. I just, and when I hear it, uh, then I'll be happy. But, and Tony and it, and Tony Visconti is producing, so there is hope. There is the Tony magic. Visconti also did a Morrissey record and a um, Dandy's record that weren't exactly great. So eh. I know I want I want to be optimistic. I really do. I'm, but we'll see. Uh, the leadoff single from the Bowie record is called "Where Are We Now," uh, which is not indicative of what the rest of the album is reportedly. So. 
we will see as we get closer to March. So that I took one off the table. Um, what else are you guys looking at that you're interested in? Uh, Flaming Lips in April. Yes. The Terror. Yes. This is now, folks. To clarify, this is an actual um, MP3 album or CD that you can buy. Uh, it is not enclosed in any candy shells of any body parts whatsoever. So yes. There, there is no gummy. No gummy has been harmed in the making of this record that we know of. Yes. Nice. Uh, which, what else are you looking at? What looks good for you? Uh, well, we mentioned a couple of them. Uh, How to Destroy Angels and Tool. Uh, also, um, Rob pointed out uh, Clutch has got a new album coming out March 19th. Yes. Um, now, I, I know, Rob, you said Death from Above as well, but I didn't see them on a schedule somewhere. I know they've got an album completed, but I was reading... It was on one of the sites that they have a they have a record. Okay. I don't think they've got a, a formal place to release it though. Hmm. So. Well, we'll see. Um. And uh, it was it was sort of thin on the ground for me anyway. I I I did see that Glitch Mob is supposed to have an album coming out this year. And uh, if if you got if somebody doesn't know Glitch Mob, if you watched the first GI Joe Retaliation trailer before they pulled it to make it 3d uh for foreign markets the um seven nation army remix that they had in that uh which is just balls nasty uh that's glitch mob so uh so yeah they've they've been putting out i think um singles and eps and such digitally but they have a full album coming out um this year so that's it for me we covered everything else i i had on the list all right rob what you got uh, uh, let's see. I know um, you're feeling the Lisa Loeb album. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, of, of, of all the people of that era, good for her. You know, she was a good kid. So, um, well, we, we mentioned a couple of things. We mentioned the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs that comes out on April 16th. Um, let's see, where do we start? Uh, I will start with uh, a couple guitar things that I'm excited about. Uh, Robin Hitchcock. Love from London comes out March 5th, so that'll be great because it's Robin Hitchcock. And um, the other thing, uh, coming out late February, the Adams for Peace record, Amok, that I I actually am kind of looking forward to. It's supposed to sound like Kid A era Radiohead. So um, I'm hoping that it's that it's interesting. I like the uh, the first single I've heard from it, and it's not too weird that it just makes me run but uh so and, far and, I'm... and this is uh this is tom york and uh flea and uh nigel godrich and who yeah. else yeah i forgot who else but i mean the flea flea guitar work with tom york's voice actually really does work yeah it's that weirdly enough but uh yeah, they got a single from it i think called default that's really nice yeah they put out another one just recently called uh judge jury and executioner that's starting to make the rounds oh nice um also, uh, I like these guys a lot. They're, uh, if you're a fan of things like Lush, uh, you'll like these guys. They're called Veronica Falls, but their second album, Waiting for Something to Happen, uh, is coming out right around Valentine's Day. Uh, we talked about Nick Cave, I think, already. Yeah. Uh, I do want to jump ahead to April because I'm very excited about the new Black Angels record called Indigo Meadow. Yeah. So if you like that big, heavy, sort of saturated grime rock, uh, likewise, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. I'm a little apprehensive because the last couple records haven't been 
as great as I as I would love them to have been. Was Beat Mar- the Devil Tattoo the last one? Yeah, but outside of that track, the record was kind of just okay. So, um, and then uh, also Tooth and Nail, the first record for Mr. Billy Bragg in quite some time, is coming out as well. Uh, I'm excited about that. And um, I think if there's anything else, oh, there, I we did mention there's a new OMD record. We don't know too much else about it, but there is also um, at some point this year supposed to be a new Depeche Mode record. Yeah, that's actually been uh, gotten a date. I believe that's in uh, March, March or and, April. And of, yeah, of course, everything's in March and April. And I think there's going to be a single out in February. Uh, I'm also, and I know we just talked about this on on Justice. Uh, I'm very excited about that new Dave Grohl soundtrack thing that's coming out that he did. And, um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers most of I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out that's just mind-numbingly, yeah. yeah. I did want to call attention, like, the last week of January uh, to the Tomahawk record. Really? Yeah, yes. I, I, I listened to the first track off of it, and it didn't, it didn't smack me in the face like i wanted so i'm gonna i'm gonna revisit that and and withhold judgment yeah but uh it's called odd fellows and it's out uh the last week of january so um yeah. go get that if you enjoy you, there Fresh is a new wilco record coming supposedly there's always a new wilco record coming and uh there's a new vampire weekend record i don't yep. like them very much either though so that's uh, i know the, the vampire weekend record is may 6th may yeah. 6th may 7th something like that uh, they might be giants have a new record coming out in fe- February. I'm going to say yeah. February. Uh, it's called nanobots. Um, they just put out an EP to promote that. Uh, and they are on tour as usual. Um, so check them out. Um, I know the cave singers have a record and the cave singers, uh, is sort of as Greg Dooley basically. Uh, so, uh, if you enjoy, uh, if you enjoy the, uh, the Afghan wig stuff and, uh, some of the stuff, uh, he's done elsewhere. Uh, check that out. Uh, I believe. Um, I, I think we've just about covered everybody else. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. There's a um, there's well. There's remastered. a waves record coming out, but I don't have the uh, the date on I don't it. Have, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. But I haven't seen anything of when it's coming. Yeah. Um, I, I am kind of excited about the Bikini Kill remasters that are coming out. A lot oh, of that, yeah. a lot of that Riot Girl stuff, uh, is getting remastered and sort of re-released. Well, uh, Kathleen Hanna's new band's record is coming out quite soon, right? Yeah, yeah. And I thought there was a new White Flag record, but I might be wrong. Uh, maybe fall. Yeah, there's I, also. I think we're gonna have some, to get some. Yeah. We're gonna have to get some distance from Portlandia to for her to yeah. do that. And there's also, uh, I believe, a new Echo and the Bunnymen record coming out at some point during the year and um yeah everything old is new again just remember that and uh, apparently they're still throwing around that u2 record that danger mouse produced which i'm really it must sound really weird because they are holding that thing back well apparently now there's two albums that they're sitting on there's there's the concept record and then there's the danger mouse record apparently yeah so who knows? Okay, so uh, now that we've given you a little taster and an idea of what to expect in the future, uh, we do need to mention uh, the passing of uh, one legend uh, from the recent past, um, Dave Brubeck, 
who uh, the legendary jazz pianist. And uh, I wanted to give uh, Robin Woods some time to uh, talk about Dave a bit. Yeah, I uh, well, let me just jump in and say that the fr- uh, as, as we mentioned in our way back in our Secret Origins episode, um, the my my first memories are of music, and the first artist I ever heard was Bob Dylan, and the second artist I heard was uh, more than likely Dave Brubeck, and um, basically the, the Time Out has I've always owned a copy of that that and like Miles Davis kind of blue. It's they. They, I somehow loan them out it's to someone. All the jazz you need. Well, that, no, if if you basically if if civilization crumbled, okay, and you could say two jazz records, could you rebuild civilization? With those two, you could rebuild civilization. I think. Um, but the the one the one cool thing is, and I'm so happy about this. I got to when Brubeck came to Huntsville, uh, my hometown, and was doing um, a tour where he was playing his more uh, I don't know, religiously minded music with a choir and whatnot, but it was still very cool. Um, I, I got to meet him. I got to shake his hand and I was just like, wow, I have been listening to you since I was a fetus and here you are and I'm shaking your hand. Um, so I, I did get to actually meet him and he was amazing. I mean, he, there is a, um, uh, there is a fantastic documentary that aired in the UK that while Rob is talking, I will look up the, uh, the name of it. Um, that basically just was was filmed just a few years ago, and he was still. They showed him at the piano, and he he was, uh, what like just shy of his ninety second birthday. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just one day shy of his ninety second birthday. So so around eighty eight, eighty nine, or whenever it was, years old. He's at the piano playing away like like it was still nothing. You know, it was amazing. And um, just the, uh, the 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 skill, it, it just it, it just hurts. He was just so talented. It was just so it was just painful to watch. And he loved what he did. There is a there is a fantastic um, uh, clip that we posted a while back. If you just look at Dave Brubeck, we've posted some live vintage stuff that he's done, and it's fantastic. But there's one where about three minutes in. He 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 starts playing and he gets so into it he literally flings the glasses off of his face, and just sort of chuckles and keeps playing, because he's like I don't need to see the keys I'm Dave Brubeck it's fucking amazing but it's it's a I mean ninety two you know almost ninety two what can you do but still it's it's a tremendous loss and it goes back to what Rob I'm sure is going to say about how we're losing the legends so I will now let Rob talk about how we're losing the legends. <laughs> Um, it's true. Right. I'm, well, I, I, this is one of those stand out of soapbox and scream moments. Um, first, you probably if, you, if, if you're saying to yourself, I don't think I've ever heard Dave Brubeck. I don't think I've heard his records. When you hear Take Five, I think majority of people will realize, oh, that. Uh, because Take Five is one of those records that sort of has permeated through different segments of people no matter what their age background or anything and it's just one of those things that by osmosis you have heard which okay? is weird because at one point or another if you've been put on hold you've probably heard it now having said that for the love of god if you have to have five records just five in your collection you have to have take five guys trying to meet chicks it works 
Guys wanted to have something to listen to or people, you want something to listen to while you're working around the house. It works. If you're getting ready to go out and you're in a car with a bunch of people and you just want to have something in background music, it works. If you're at a party and you want it to really become a nice party, it works. If you want a record that you can have to start a conversation with someone about, it works. It is an all-purpose record for every occasion, and those do not happen very often. The same, very often, the same things could be said about Kind of Blue, right? Mm, yep. But it is just one of those legendary. It, it, it's very hard for Americans to say there is an American album that sort of is our very own. It's culturally our own. You can tell this is this is what an American album sounds like. <laughs> And that is one of those records. It is, I mean, now, having said that, listen to his other things. Because the one thing about Dave Brubeck that was interesting that I think got lost until after he died and they brought it up is that his career spanned so many other different aspects of music that he really is an interesting uh, artist to listen to in terms of the different music that he's made and the different styles that he dabbled in and just how deep he went into sort of you know, I don't want to wave flags and say the sound of America, but he literally incorporated all these different sounds into one sort of jazz record. And you can hear that in Take 5, and you can hear it in some of his other stuff. So listen to Take 5 and explore some of his other things, having said that. Um, I will also say that, you know, you could say that Dave Brubeck is to jazz what Elvis was to rock and roll. He took a lot of other styles, a lot of other background influences, and put it into a jazz record and made it popular. Take Five was a huge selling record when it came out. It sort of opened the door for jazz records to have commercial sales and to get heard. Um, it also made, in many ways, and this sounds really, really a horrible thing to say, but it really sort of demystified jazz as music by a bunch of black guys. Because this was a white guy that made funky jazz. And that suddenly, because our society was so weird at the time, sort of said, oh, it's okay to listen to jazz. It, you know, it's kind of like what the Beastie Boys did with hip hop. And it's sad that it was that way, but it kind of was. And it's really sad that that says a lot about our culture. But a lot of people didn't go back and discover Ellington or Basie or Cab Calloway or any of these other great jazz musicians until they first heard Brubeck. It's sort of the door into that world. It's sort of like the white bread way into that world. That's so it's safe. a gateway drug. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to say that, but it, it, it kind of is. Um, and he had an interesting, an interesting life. The, great, the, the interesting thing that I loved about the tributes to Brubeck was that they actually talked about his life outside of music, which I thought was nice. Uh, he did grow up in California, um, and his records sort of sound Californian in the same way that the Beach Boys do. They kind of have that little sunny... California kind of vibe to him. And um, he ended up, his dad was a musician, so he sort of grew up appreciating music to begin with, but he worked on a cattle ranch, which I was like fascinated on that he worked on this, like his family owned a 14,000 acre cattle ranch, and he worked on that, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he also served in Europe in World War II. Um, and I, I can't remember if he saw combat or not, but he was in that sort of group of amazing this, this very seldom ever gets brought up but that sort of amazing group of americans that w was in the, the european theater after d-day you know people like salinger and him and uh, a bunch of these other people that were involved in world war ii and could bring 
a lot of that music over to Europe, but could also take a lot of the sounds they heard back over to the States. And I think that's important. Um, and probably the most interesting thing that he did when he was playing in military bands in World War II, he was one of the first people to integrate bands. And then when he came over to America and he got successful, he integrated bands. And if his whole band could not play in a bar because it was segregated, he didn't play. Right. Um, and that's a huge thing. I mean, it's very hard to believe. But at the time when he was making records, if, you know, it was a segregated audience. And he basically called bullshit on it. And he was one of the people, because of the success of Time Out and his records, he was enough of a financial draw and enough of a of a marketable name that he kind of could write his own rules with that. And, and that is what that is really cool. And in jazz, it says a lot because so many of those people that he played with and so many of the other people that he put on his bills with him had never really gotten their, their musical due, so to speak. So he went out of his way to expose these really great session players that deserved to have been heard 30 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago that never got exposure. So he not only is sort of the gateway drug, as Tuffley says, to that type of music, but he also was a person that sort of was a mentor to later generations, but also took out of respect the music that he heard and he loved and the people that influenced him and gave back by giving them their, their moment in the sun. And that is absolutely huge. Um, and just in terms of being creative, he's one of these musicians, I think, that could hear a note in his head and just play it. Um, sort of, you know, there's, there's, there's people that can do that. They'll hear something and they're like, you know, this is how I want it to sound. I can't really describe how it's going to sound, but let me play it for you. And then boom, just plays it. And he had a very sort of instantaneous sense of timing and harmony and improvisation that, of course, comes with jazz. But he had a way of doing it in a way that it was really, really accessible. I and mean, he made, it was almost, I mean, Take 5 was almost like the pop music version of jazz. But that, I think that's okay. Some people like will say, oh, you like Take 5. And a lot of jazz snobs will look down at you because it's so popular and it's so accessible. But I will argue that it's okay. I mean, it's great that that record, almost every record on it is quote-unquote a hit. Or every song on that record is something you've heard in the soundtrack or you know, while you're on hold or whatever, it's okay. That means that it's been sort of going from generation to generation to generation as a record people appreciate. And it's a record that has legs, and that's pretty awesome. And the remaster for Take 5 that came out a couple of years ago is highly worth picking out. Um, it's just incredible. So, again, we, we use the word iconic so often but in this time, and I think Witch is with me on it, this is one of those times where you underscore it like 50 million times until the pencil cuts through the paper. Um, because we will not see a musician like him again. I mean, we just won't. And he was one of the last really great sort of jazz innovative players around. And he also was one of the few ambassadors of that music around as well. And, you know, he played into his nineties, he gigged into his nineties and it wasn't just showing up playing two songs. And then he's got his, his band playing the rest of the night. No, it was balls to the wall, 92, 90 minute, two hour shows of him playing, you know, into his eighties, you know, and that's pretty cool. So it's, 
it's really sad. I mean, it's 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 up there. It's up there with those day. One of those days when you lost Johnny Cash, or one of those days when you lost Al um, uh, Marvin Gaye, or when you lost like these huge musicians of other genres. It ranks just as importantly, and he's just one of those American musicians, sort of in the same way that you would associate a Gershwin with an American music form, or that you would associate Miles Davis, or you would associate Elvis. It's sort of one of those figures that sort of was around at the right time and did an amazing thing and paved the way for a lot of other people. And it's just really sad. So there you go. Thus ends the lesson. Hey, uh, Widge, did you uh, manage to locate the name of that talk? Yes. it's uh, the, the It was produced by Clint Eastwood, and it was called Dave Brubeck in His Own Sweet Way. It was from 2010. Yeah. It's, so, so it's brilliant. So produced by... Clint Eastwood, presumably before he start, started talking to chairs. Uh, yes, that's what well, I understand. Clint Eastwood okay. is a huge jazz jazz fan, and I believe he does play some type of jazz music himself, and I think his daughter does too. Yeah. So uh, uh, check that out. What was the name of that again? Uh, in his own sweet way. If yeah, you can they, find it, watch it. It's brilliant. And they both came from the same part of California, so it's very easy for them to have uh, crossed paths. So. Back to the Future, sort of, slightly. There's a pit stop. Um, <laughs> MP3.com. Do, do you guys remember this this bold experiment in music purchasing? Briefly. Briefly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically the idea was that uh, you could put your CD in and you could basically store your music online as a locker from the CD. It would basically scan the CD and put the the mp3s there uh the record industry got into a tizzy about it and uh basically put put the kill on it uh mp3.com is of course still around but in a very odd form but it but it's been around pretty much the whole time um but it does not it the locker thing it does it does not do uh unless you purchase directly from mp3.com um I guess, and the other question is, and I'll ask this to Widge because mm -hmm. he's more likely to have it. Yeah. Um, when you checked your Amazon cloud, did, did you notice a whole bunch of CDs maybe you'd bought since 1998 that popped up uh, uh, on, on your cloud? Uh, no. Okay. So basically, <laughs> uh, what's occurred? Rob, have you noticed this? Uh, I noticed it after you said something, sent the email around. Okay. With the agenda, so, yeah. Yeah, so what we're talking about here is AutoRip. And folks, if you haven't noticed in your own cloud, if you've bought records, uh, if you bought any CD from Amazon since 1998, um, there's a good chance they've just added a whole bunch of stuff to your cloud uh, without you knowing. But basically, the idea with AutoRip is uh, that basically, and this is something that the first time I noticed it wasn't actually mp3.com. It was, uh, I think it was David Burns' label. Uh, when I uh, when I bought a couple of David Byrne records and they uh, well, it was David Burns and it was Nonsuch actually as well. Uh, when when you bought a couple of records from them, they also included the MP3 uh, as they were shipping it, uh, and that's what Amazon is basically doing. If you buy the CD from Amazon now, uh, selected CDs uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about fifty thousand albums at this point, but they plan to add more. Uh, you automatically get the MP3 on your cloud. Uh, without an extra charge, which I think is a good idea. Um, but I think it's also uh, something that took long enough. Uh, what do you What do you guys think about this development that it's that the technological advancement of 1998 is now 
finally available for the home? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it just, it makes sense. And I mean, it, it does, um, it does actually give you a reason to buy a CD now. I mean, because if you think about it, a lot of these I've seen are, well, you could buy the MP3 for nine ninety five, or you could buy the CD and the MP3 for nine ninety five. Um, so in those cases, why wouldn't you buy the CD as well? Because then you got a physical copy backup, um, and, and you're and you're just gonna rip it and put it on an iPod anyway, or or MP3 player of choice. Um, I mean, it just makes sense. It's just a value add. Well, I think, and, and again, I'm going to throw a whole new wrench into this whole thing. Um, I think one of the reasons why this happened is, I, I remember the late 90s this popping up, but I think that really the thing that kick-started it into being sort of the new industry standard is that sort of late 90s, early 2000s, when vinyl just started taking up like crazy again. And they would sell records. So, for example, if you're buying the new Yola Tango record, you buy the album on vinyl. But, again, vinyl's a pain in the ass to transfer as a medium, so they would give you an MP3 download code with the album. And now it's pretty much standard practice. If you buy an album, they give you an MP3 code version of the album, too. And I think they realized when they started having that be so successful – where, okay, I'm buying an album, but I can get the MP3 to put in my computer, and it saves my vinyl from getting worn out, I think a light switch went on somewhere, and someone said, wait a minute, we can use the same thing for selling CDs and other technologies. And I think that they almost needed to be, I think the labels needed to be in such a position to where they were losing people in terms of buying physical products, that this is their solution. Because people aren't buying physical records anymore. I mean, if they're if they're serious about music like Tuffley and I, uh, they'll buy it to have the artwork and, and things, and for for like almost everything we like. But then there's people that are casual that'll be like, the records I really like, I want a backup. And this settles both arguments. So the casual listener can can have a CD of his collection, um, and if he's a to go busy guy, they've got everything online or, or on an iPod, and you can take it with you. So it solves that problem, but it also appeases the diehard collectors as well. And I think it was sort of birthed out of this desire to have vinyl just exploded literally out of nowhere. And it sort of came along with it. And I think it's a spin-off technology of that. I don't think it was sort of a calculated move by a label. I yeah. think it was sort of the result of something else. And I know that sort of takes us in a different direction than you guys might have no. thought. And I'm sorry about that. But I think it's awesome because – one of the things I look for now when I'm buying a CD is, you know, I'm going to take this with me somewhere. I'm probably going to use it to DJ out. I don't want my CD to get beat to shit, and I don't want to have to rebuy it. So having a version that I can put on another medium and burn off later as sort of like a flimsy take-along copy is, is really nice to have. And it does do that for me. Now, having said that, the other great thing that it does is – it creates less, uh, and again, there was a move, a, a really conscious movement by the record industry to do this, but it does leave, to a certain extent, less of a carbon footprint, and it gives people the option instead of printing up five hundred thousand dollars of the new or five hundred thousand copies of the new Tool CD, let's say, right? They can put, they can put it on Amazon with both formats, 
and people can choose, I just want the bundle or I want the CD. If you give them the CD and they get the bundle as a throw-in, it's nothing physical. So they're only making as many copies as they are selling. So it gives them an idea of how many CDs to have, which does a few, few things. One, it doesn't um, leave the carbon footprint that uh, they're concerned about. Two, it doesn't cost them uh, a ton of money to print copies of CDs and records that are not going to be used. And it also shrinks the secondary market, um, which is also another thing. So this is sort of a win-win for a lot of different people, I think. Well, I've been, I, my thought on this is, well, two things. One, I think you've got a point about the vinyl. Um, but I think you've got there. I think there's something else. Um, the movie industry, um, how they've been trying to get people to, to get back to buying physical media with the, the encroaching digital uh, purchases, especially the streaming stuff. Um, and, and the way that the film studios did that is, even though ultraviolet probably isn't the best system, um, I think the digital copy system is a little bit better uh, that gives you the choice of going to iTunes and the, having a having a code to get the iTunes version or being able to use that same code to, you know, have your choice of getting the Windows version, uh, the Windows media version. Um, and, I, and I think they they finally picked up something from the film industry going, OK, this is OK to do now, uh, where maybe that that squick was there uh, when MP3.com first showed up. I think the other thing it does, uh, besides the basic of Amazon needs to sell some CDs and they'd like to bring some growth back to that product category, um, I think is is also, I think, education. Um, I, I, I think uh, particularly not so much in the realm of, you know, the generation that's basically grown up with downloads. Um, maybe, you know, and I hate to say the old person's guide to the Internet, but that kind of seems what what it is uh because you still have a lot of people who buy cds um and and let's be honest we know the cd is going away eventually we know that um so i think that generation that is still buying cds um to kind of educate them and kind of get them up on okay your stuff can be elsewhere and this is where it is and 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 kind of that sort of outreach thing which i think is important as as the people who as the 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 average age buyer of CDs uh, that still buys CDs uh, is, is spiraling upward, which we know it is. Um, but we know that format's going to go away. So I, I think getting people ready for that uh, I think is also important, so that when people transition over to uh, to MP3s, uh, that they they do know where to go to to purchase these things uh, because. You know, there are some people who still don't do the online thing. And I think that's a good thing as well. All right. So uh, continuing a little bit forward into the future, sort of. Uh, Trent Reznor uh, and Dr. Dre are teaming up for a new project. And um, it's not what you think. Um, Dre, of course, owns Beats. If you've been staring at anyone's head at a bus terminal lately, you may have noticed that they're that big B. On, on people's headphones. In addition to it being neon and, and annoying, it, it, it's actually Dre's. Uh, but uh, Trent and Dre are teaming up for a new uh, streaming service, uh, tentatively titled Daisy. And uh, what this will do, uh, in addition, well, that nobody else does, because that's the important thing. Let's just do something no one else does. 
is uh, it's apparently supposed to have more organic forms of discovery, and it's supposed to have its own sort of discovery engine. So it's sort of a cross between Pandora and Facebook and um, us. Not not that I'm bitter or anything. You're trying um, to shop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so we're getting another streaming service. This one. Does it feel any different having come from musicians or what do you guys think about this? Uh, Oh, I'll jump in. Um, I, uh, to me, this is like, you remember when David Bowie like opened his own bank? Um, Yeah. That's what this sort of feels like. It's like, okay, you've already got an entrenched bunch of people using Pandora who use it and love it. Um, You got people who are entrenched in Spotify. Um, do we really need this? And who's going to sign on to this? Um, I mean, it, it, it all depends on what they're going to have available. And personally, I think the discovery on Spotify is much better than the one on Pandora. So it's like, well, how, you know, what is your engine that you're going to put in there? That's going to be so spectacular you're going to pull me off of there because really how many engines does one person need? I mean, once you're on Spotify or Pandora, aren't you set? Well, I think it's interesting to note that Spotify is also getting a new discovery engine thing that, that is coming up with their app updates, Hmm. uh, which is telling, I I, I think it's one of two things um, because, and the whole thing, and I, the, the point with Spotify is a, social media, which is curated by the users. Uh, so it's not basically who you know, but it's, you know, following playlists and subscribing and, and all that. The thing that I would notice about, and, and, and they always say this about social media and the graph or whatever you want to call it, um, that it's very easy to curate and and find uh information it's harder to get it from people that that you rely on i guess so to speak and you always think well okay twitter is the you know the 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 end mass everybody at once sort of feed and then facebook purported to be the more intimate sort of feed and that's kind of what this is going for that that i that it sounds like that it's going for is that this is supposed to be sort of more closer to you and a more circle of people you trust suggesting music to you uh so basically i'm thinking this is this is okay spot a little bit of spotify and a little bit of pandora for people who don't branch out i'm guessing Mm. is how i'm looking at it what do you make of all this uh well, okay. Um, first thing that comes to my mind is that there are artists who have pulled their things from Spotify because they've had issues with uh, – I sound like a fucking broken record this time. I'm sorry. Uh, because they've had issues with labels or royalties or whatever with Spotify. So it seems like one of the things behind this is that the artist will have a certain more control over what gets posted, and I think they get more money out of it which I think is the lure for the artist. And, but I, I think a lot of it is redundant. If, like I'm perfectly happy with Spotify. It does everything I want. Um, what it doesn't do that maybe this will do. And we might be the kind of people that think this, but we don't necessarily have to have Spotify to do the thinking for us is that we might listen to the Beatles 
And that might lead us to Pink Floyd, which might lead us to ELO, which might take us over to Mozart. Because well, not if you're just... on Spotify, because you can't get Floyd and the Beatles on, on Spotify. Well, no, I, I'm just talking about the process. I mean, yeah. we're, we're three people that are going to have, in the course of a day, that will listen to so much different variety of music that it throws all the focus groups and sort of pre-programmed things out the window. <clears throat> and I think this is maybe intended, and I don't know how the execution is going to work, but I think this is intended for people that want a deeper musical experience, I think. Um, because from what I understand, it's sort of like a human curated playlist type of thing. Whereas I think Spotify is sort of, you type it in and it automatically goes into it based on a, on an algorithm or, or some weird thing uh, on similarities. But I think this is supposed to be more personal. Well, I think what the they're basic, saying. I, think the I, basic I don't understand. I think which hit this. I don't understand how you make it different, you know, um, Unless they are just offering stuff that's just not out there. I mean, but I don't know what to do. Like, for example, all the KLF stuff just went on Spotify and iTunes this week, right? So yeah. there's, there's, there's stuff like that that's not on other, these other sort of formats. If they get a bunch of that stuff and they have a really – because they're artists and they have access to different contents – if it's the place where they put like B-sides, bootlegs, and things, and all the artists get the money, I could see that as being a valued service yeah. sort of thing. Or oh, yeah. Put, yeah. Or a place where they put mashups that are created by DJs yeah. or something. If yeah. they do that type of like curated, specific, content-specific things specifically given to them by artists that they can then pass on and the artists get more money than they would at the other formats, I could see that working. But I think it's really sort of redundant, and I'm kind of taking a wait and see attitude on this because I don't really know what to make of it yet. And, um, and I think I think part of the thing is, and I think you've hit it, uh, consumer-wise. I think, at least from our perspective, consumers are happy with what Spotify offers. Yeah. But musicians who produce the content that Spotify runs off of uh, may not be so much, um, and. Is it possible? And also the other thing is we don't really know because, you know, Trent Reznor's got a title and Dre yeah. may have a title, but we know this thing is Beats is owned by HTC. So they're the ones who are going to ultimately run it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how how artist friendly does that end up being? And I guess well, that's. Yeah. And it could uh, also be a thing that that they that somebody else owns and that these guys are just the faces that are on it. Yeah. It could be that, you know. But I mean, I think Widge hit it on the head. I just, I don't know what the hell to think of it. I mean, um, on paper, if someone tells me that Dre and Trent Reznor have a business idea, I'm gonna listen to the idea and sort of get excited about it. But I can't get excited about this, and I'm kind of mystified as to why. Yeah. So looking at that, then I have to I have to fall into Widge's line of thinking, which uh, which is not bad. That this is sort of redundant and not necessarily thought out and this is either something that is redundant or it's something that's you know down the line but they're two steps down the line instead of one step down the line and we just all haven't seen it yet um so i think well, that's my, kind of... well my other thought was i was kind of thinking you know haven't we gone through the string of businesses that were named after references to 2001 already i thought we already got all of those out of the way apparently, apparently not. not no <laughs> well i i think honestly what all Spotify is missing is 
I need an RSS feed that, that, that will tell me when, say, like Tuffley, when you post a new playlist, I'd like to know about it because I – I get lost in Twitter because I'll, I'll be gone from it for hours yeah. at a time. And when I come back, there's thousands of, you know, fucking tweets that I can't get through. And well, what's well, that? what Spotify needs to do mm. uh, as, as someone who puts out a lot of playlists, let's just go ahead and say it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would, I, I would think it would be better. And this could be something that Daisy is actually doing mm. where it's more connected to people and not so much content. Right. If that makes any sense? Well, no, that because was... the way the way Spotify works now is that if I put a randomizer up, mm. um, people can subscribe to that randomizer. Right. But because I do different lists, because I change that, it's not like an ongoing growing list. Because you know, I kind of intend it that way. It's just that period. Yep. yep. Um, so that when I put out another randomizer, nobody sees it. Exactly. Unless I just promote the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, you, because the they people need to subscribe who, to you rather yeah. than an, a, a single playlist. And, and you can't do that unless you follow me on Facebook. Yeah. Because that's how Spotify is hooked up. So maybe Daisy, um, part of Daisy's hook is that maybe you can subscribe to people as opposed to the content, and from there you get the discovery. Which is which is easy enough for Spotify to fix. The other thing yeah. that I would want them to do is, if we are friends on Spotify or Facebook, um, when I'm putting together a radio station, which I do like to do because I do discover new things using that, um, is, you know, let me choose how I weight, um, you know, the, the ratings from my friends versus the public. Right. So I might be able to say, OK, well, let's rate, you know, let's put, you know, 60 percent towards Tuffley and Rob versus 40 percent of the rest of my friends. And I don't want I don't care about the public or 20 percent the, the public, you know, 30 percent my friends and 50 percent somebody else. You know what I mean? So you can yeah. basically you can you can roll your own um, basically r completely roll your own radio station yeah. um, that way. And if you did that, what the fuck else could anybody do to touch you? You you would why would you ever go anywhere else? You would just turn on Spotify, hit radio station for your list of starred songs and go nuts. Yeah. Which they've been they've been tr there there is the radio app that they've been trying to to work on which 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 isn't quite there yet, but is really close to what you're talking about. Mm, okay. And also, also, have you tried Sounddrop? I have not. Uh, there is a new app uh, that's come to Spotify. And and the other thing I think Spotify is doing to kind of stave off some of this is there are going to be some updates and improvements to uh, things, uh, particularly the Discovery Engine, because they're adding that shortly uh, in some of their updates. Uh, but SoundDrop um, is basically you can create shared rooms. Hmm. Where where you can put up put up like a playlist in shared rooms. And I think I may try something like that with future randomizer editions to see if see if it's built on the same per list system or can I create a room and then change the list hmm. and send people to that room. So I wonder. It's kind of like the, the couple of the DJ things uh, that that they've been doing. Although I don't think it's in real time. I think you have to set up the lists. Right. Okay. It's worth a shot. Yeah. Okay, so um, now that we've now that we've arrived back in the present, 
we apparently a couple of shows back, uh, we were talking about how much Justin Timberlake has really given up his idea of having a music career. Uh, apparently that that must have pissed him off and triggered something because he's back. <laughs> he's uh, he, he's got a new record out called the 2020 Experience. It's coming, I believe, in April. Or it could be the magical March where everything else is coming out. Um, but uh, apparently he put out a, a single uh, called Suit and Tie. Now, cleverly, this is also tied in with the relaunch of MySpace, which Timberlake also kind of owns. So um, Timberlake coming back, is this really our fault or are we off the hook because of MySpace? Uh, well, I mean, just like other people who have gone into movies, uh, he has to come back and do an album every so often just to, I guess, I, I, is, is it like, is it like the Marvel films where you have to have something in development all the time or you lose the rights? It's like, you have to put an album out every so often or you can't, you get kicked out of the music industry. Maybe that's well, see, how it works. Well, see, I was thinking in terms <laughs> with, because I know a lot of people blame us for bringing family guy back. So, uh, and that didn't turn out very well. No. So I'm, I'm, I was kind of trying to get us, preemptively off the hook for bringing for for goading timberlake back uh i i i i i think that uh i i don't think we can be blamed for that uh i i think basically uh we haven't heard from anyone at the hague so i don't think we're going to be brought up on charges um this and, and Rob, what's your take is this a promotional thing is the album a promotional thing for myspace um Okay, let's see. A uh, couple thoughts, just off the top of my head. God help us all. Um, first of all, I just want to point out, he hasn't exactly, with the exception of Social Network, had a movie career. Point one. So sometimes when guys make movies and, they, and they're musicians and it's crap, they go back. It's the anti-Wahlberg effect. They go back and make a record because huh. it's their fallback. Whereas Wahlberg made a record, knew it sucked, and turned into a good actor, right? This is the opposite of that. But, so it could be one, he's just, his movies just aren't banking, and he needs to do something else. Because I have to say, the, when you've seen Justin Timberlake in the last four or five years, not counting social network, um, and you've enjoyed him, it's been doing those spots on Saturday Night Live when he's doing the weird musical stuff. With yeah, Andy I was Samberg. about to say, SNL could make him a regular cast member, but I don't think that'd yeah. be enough. Um, and I and I tend to think that he's actually far more talented than I think people want to give him credit for critically. I think that he it, it, it grudges a lot of people to have to admit that he has talent. I think that, that really bothers people. I think he has uh, a knowledge of production. I think he has a knowledge of what people listen to that transfers well and sells. And I also think that he listens to enough different music that he sort of knows what he wants to do. So part of me thinks, well, first the music, the film career is not going well. Let's go back to music. Part of me though also thinks that, you know, he grew up being a musician, making music. He had his first successes in music. Maybe it's just in him to where he says, you know what? I want to make a record. I don't need to, but I want to. This could very also very much be that because I think he's, he doesn't really, I suspect need the money, but I think he's like, I need to make a record. And then I think the MySpace thing is kind of like, I'll piggyback it with that. Um, he always has had struck me as someone who's had a good business head on him. So I think that those two events are related, but I think he generally wanted to make a record. So um, my, my space is a unlike, music hub. Would you use it? 
Well, I didn't use MySpace to begin with, so you know, yeah. I, it, it just seemed sort of. I knew when MySpace came out that something better would come out, so I didn't mess with it. Um, but and I, I'm indifferent about MySpace; I could care less about that. But I think that I think in the deep down inside, uh, he wants to make another record. Um, I also think that part of this is motivated by if you're Justin Timberlake and you come and you're coming up now and you're looking around and you're looking at the people that are coming up making records, I'd like to think that he's looking at One Direction and he's looking at Justin Bieber and he's looking at all these people that are making crap records. And I think he's saying to himself, fuck that, I can do better. And I think this is a certain, to a certain extent, him sort of making a statement that, yes, you have to have talent. Now, say what you want about him. He has a voice. He has a fairly decent singing voice. And he has a certain sense of appreciation for old school soul and old school pop music. So I think he's very much sort of trying to make it old school. And so this is, this is about, I think, making a statement. I want to make a record and enough of these, like, sort of like, I don't want to use the word wannabes, but I think he's sort of making a statement of, you know, there's these people coming up that have very marginal talent that are making millions and millions of dollars. Why am I not in this game? You know. Well, well, and to, and, and to be fair, you know, uh, Timberlake is is in that short list of artists that you know uh, Timberland actually you know works well with. Uh, the other one being Missy Elliott, and the other other one being Aaliyah. So you know, he's yeah. the one most likely to do a record. So he also sang on a lot of other people's records too. Yeah, well, so and, he's got a, he's got a crossover appeal. And, and Rob, to be fair, I, I was just checking. Um, his last three films before the Clint Eastwood one, Bad Teacher had a production budget of twenty million. It did two hundred and sixteen million worldwide. That movie did two hundred and sixteen million dollars. It 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 made more than a hundred million uh, domestically. Hey, Cameron Diaz, Wax and Cars gets money. Yeah, I'm just uh, saying. Friends with okay. Benefits production budget thirty five million worldwide one hundred and forty nine. See that one, I could see making money. Yeah, uh, again, he's paired with Mila Kunis. And and in time. That crazy looking sci-fi thing, production budget forty million, worldwide gross one hundred and seventy-three. So he's probably making more money in worldwide box office than I guess he is in America. Then, uh, for the last two films, yes. So that could also be part of this. I mean, to me, and I realize now that I'm that I'm wrong. He's had success in the movies, but I don't. If I, I if if I'm an average person, I don't see him making blockbuster movies no you, know? you don't you don't and that's kind yeah, of because he can't carry a film you, you can see him in like the ensemble or background of something but you well, don't he, see him carrying a film he's, he's been the, some of the movies that he's been he's been the best like he was one of the best things about social network friends with benefits he was actually that was actually pretty watchable right and, um, and he makes a great boo-boo in yogi bear he's yeah, his, eerily his, good that yeah and that was amazing um so, you know, I, I'm not one of these people that is going to bash the guy for making a new record because at the end of the day, everybody wants to get their get their own. And I'm thinking I'm thinking he's tired of everybody else getting their own when he when he started this shit in the first place. You can, you know, I mean, basically him and Britney Spears sort of launched this in the, in the 2000s, this idea of like the proto pop prefab pop star. But. Unlike a lot of his peers, he had a sense of musical timing, production, songwriting, and he also, I think, has he has a, a 
complete sense of the whole game in terms of like visual presentation, marketing, the actual making of the record, the mixing of the record, the getting the right producer. I think that he is one of these people that sort of gets the whole picture of a packaged album. And I also think that he has the availability to get it out in as many different ways as possible uh, in terms of digitally, physical releases, club releases, things like that. Because the record's going to get played in clubs. It's going to get played on, you know, whatever fashion TV stuff that, that picks up the commercials. He's already made the money on the record coming out because there's so many other, between merchandising deals, soundtracks, and just having it be stuff used in like fashion shows or whatever, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make money. So if you're a businessman and you're him, if you're him and you're a businessman, it's a no-brainer. So this doesn't really surprise me as much. But if Justin Timberlake makes a record and it's a pop record and it means I don't have to hear any more One Direction or Justin Bieber and it sort of tells people that, hey, if you want your, 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 your pop, this is what it actually sounds like. Because I, and I don't know if it's like this for you, Tuffley and Winch, but I, at least when people in his generation were coming up making pop records – it felt like it had sort of a soul and a character and a substance to it. Whereas now you hear it, it sort of just feels so derivative and so unintelligent and insulting that it's almost heartless. And at least he makes records that have a soul in it. You may not necessarily like them, but he at least, you know, I think what you see is what you get with him. And I think there's a certain much more sincerity about the music that he does than there is in other artists. So I'll give him a bit of a free pass, you know? Um, that's just kind of what I'm thinking. And I, and I may be completely wrong, and he just might be in his penthouse laughing his way to the bank. But you know what? If it means I don't have to hear One Direction again, great, as I said. So there you go. I uh, hope that again, makes sense. But again, you're still not going to use MySpace, are you? No. Okay. I'm sorry. Is, is MySpace still there? Thank you, yeah. Mitch. Okay. <laughs> But I think he's gonna. I think the record's gonna be much more mature than people thought too. You yeah. Know? Um, I think he's. I think he's also grown enough that he wants to make a different type of record. I don't think you're not gonna hear being, you know, bring sexy back on this record. I think you're gonna hear a more mature sort of, more seasoned kind of person because sometimes people do that, you know. And I yeah. think, I think he's has had experiences and things that he's wanted to say and do, and I think that's what this is. So, so Rob, you're thinking Dick in a Box Part Two. Uh, yes. But that would be awesome if you put it on the record. And then the, an entire EP of remixes. Yes. All right, gentlemen. Uh, we got some quickies to get through. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to load the dice here for Do We Care. Um, basically, I'm going to tell you what the headline is, and either you care or you don't. And if you care, you can speak on it. And then, or if not, we'll just move on. Uh, so the uh, we we have uh, inaugurated uh, Barack Obama again as president, and no matter how you feel on that subject, um, you can uh, agree or disagree that uh, there seems to be some controversy about whether or not Beyonce lip synced at the inauguration ceremony. Uh, there are conflicting reports, uh, mainly from the Marine Band, uh, that said at one point or another she may or may not have lip synced. However, there were pictures that were out of Beyonce in a recording studio where she did, in fact, record the lyrics to uh, the national anthem. 
Um, so Beyonce lip syncing at the inauguration. Is it a big deal? Do we care? Rob Levy. Uh, I don't really care if I'm singing the inauguration and I have to do the national anthem. I don't want to fuck it up in front of thousands of people, regardless of political, uh, mindsets. I don't want to be the person that fucks up the national anthem. Look at what it did to Roseanne and everybody else who's fucked it up. Anyone who's ever messed up the national anthem is just, it's, it's, it's a career killer. So don't do that. Two, yes, there's bigger things to worry about. I don't really care if she lip sync. They lip sync at the Super Bowl, you know. Which she's whatever. also playing, by the way. So she's getting practice. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think it's the end of the world. Which at Walls, do you care? Uh, I, I'm not sure why I care because aren't, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I mean, it's like basically, so she lip synced at, at, at the inauguration. Who who the fuck cares? We've got we've we've got people shooting each other. We've got all kinds of crazy shit going on all over the world, and you know we've got we're still in a recession. And and as we've just talked about, Justin Timberlake has a new album coming out. Chaos. I mean, there's dogs and cats living together, and we're worried about this. I just don't understand. And 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 I should point out though, and I'm going to use this stat because I took the time to look it up. Uh. Yo-Yo Ma finger synced at the uh, at the uh, Obama inauguration number one. So, that just sounds uh, nasty. Okay, that just sounds nasty. That's that's you know the innuendo is is, is what I go for and and the research that I do. So um, I, I have to bring it in somewhere. Mm. Uh, so I ha- I just wanted to bring up the Yo-Yo Ma fingering stat. So uh, there you go. Uh, moving on <laughs> from from Fingergate from Fingergate to Gleegate. Uh, apparently, as Glee likes to do, it has been in the history of our show where we've reported on um, Glee and people working on it being, you know, extreme dicks to musicians. Well, uh, another case in point, uh, in the most recent episode, probably not by the time you listen to this, but as we were recording, uh, the most recent episode of Glee uh, featured a arrangement of uh, the Sir Mix-a-Lot um, classic masterpiece, Baby Got Back. Um, and it sounded really, 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 really exactly close. Some might say sampled the audio, uh, from a version, uh, done by, uh, Jonathan Colton, the internet's friend, Jonathan Colton. Um, and, uh, there, there were some questions, interesting copyright questions this raised. Um, first of all, uh, Rob Levy, do you care about any of this at all? Uh, normally I wouldn't care because it's Glee, but I do care because it's Jonathan Colton, and I understand that artists like him, every dime counts, and every dollar that's taken from you counts, and, um, I've said before, I'll say it again, I'll walk down the street with Mussolini if it means I don't have to watch any more fucking Glee. <laughs> and it does bring up, it does bring up an interesting copyright question. Did you like that one, Widge? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> It, it does bring up an interesting question about copyright because covers, of, as we get kind of further along in the uh, doing exactly what what Jonathan Colton does, which is you know he operates he his wares are on the internet, um and 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 you know as you know any band can tell you and and which you're probably familiar with this you had to do some time doing covers, yes, um you know somehow that's how you get out there sometimes yeah. you just do a really interesting cover of something. But, and yes. some idiot who makes playlists like me will go, oh, that's nice, and throw it into throw you a bone. Um, but it does bring up an interesting question of what's yours, 
what what when you do something like that what's the original artists um who who gets credit for what when something gets when something happens um and rob do you do you have any 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 thought on on how this would exactly work copyright wise from what from what i understand i'm going to do two things from one from what i think and two from what i'm guessing yeah um first what i am guessing um uh, just judged on jonathan colson colson as a character and as a musician as having seen interviews with him and things um I'm pretty sure, because when you do a cover, as Weird Al Yankovic has said, nine out of ten times you want the artist you're covering to know you're doing it. So I could very easily hear him saying, calling up Colton on the phone and saying, hey, I want to do a cover of Baby Got Back. I don't want to be surprised. Are you cool? What can I do? What can I not do? Because it's in the best interest of the artist who originally recorded the song because they still get the ASCAP royalties and to a certain extent the publishing royalties. And so, it is important to note here that uh, Jonathan Colton is paying uh, Mix a lot for royalties. Yeah. Um, he, he now the cover that his version of the between, cover, but that's yeah. between those two to work out in terms of a business that was upfront. That yeah. you know not, maybe lawyers talking to each other. They may not have had a conversation, but that is a business arrangement that is mutually beneficial to both parties, yeah. right? Now, so, yes, and, best case scenario, Glee takes that record and plays it. Then, in my estimation, they got to pay Colton because it's his voice, and they got to pay Mix a lot because it's his song. And if they're doing that and they're not paying both, then they're fucking two people instead of one. Now, the real winner in all of this, no matter what we, is going to be Jonathan Colton because he's going to look like the victim because eighty percent of the world still does not watch Glee, so and they're tired of it. So. Those people will buy his records just to spite them, right? So go for it. I, I hope he takes them to the fucking bank, you know? Um, and that's it's personal for me, though, because I know the artist involved somewhat. Yeah. I've met them, um, and I think that they're a good person. I don't think that he is going to, like, make these accusations unfoundedly just to make a dime. You know, if it was a song that... Most of the time, the artists, when they complain about this stuff, I tend to think the way that musicians have been cheated out of their back royalties by the music industry for, oh, I don't know, 60 60 or 70 years, I tend to err on the side of the artist because so many things are out of their control. And once they make a song that's out there and how it gets used, they don't necessarily control. And if you took... You know, Weird Al Yankovic is, 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 is always interested when he talks about this because he says he makes he wants the artist to hear it before he releases it, and he always wants to contact them or their managing people to let them know he's doing it to get their blessing. And I I tend to think that most sensible musicians that make covers now sort of use that as a blueprint on how to do it. Yeah. And I don't think that this guy is an idiot. That's just going to say, I'm making this cover, and oh my god, this cover I made that went big on the internet, someone at Glee heard it. Well, then he's yeah. fighting two wars, and I don't think he's that stupid. So I think he made a record. I think that it sort of caught on, and it got really catchy, and I think the people that make the soundtracks to Glee, because I'm like, well, they have to actually have record labels and, and people involved have people that handle specifically licensing. And I think that because the way he works and because it's a cover, I don't think someone got a hold of the proper licensing person to get the clearance is what I suspect happened. But then I also very easily could see someone 
involved in that show say, you know, we're Glee. Who's going to have a problem with it? And we're so big, who's going to stop us? Yeah. So that's now, kind of where, where, I, where I think this is going. Now, it's worth pointing out um, that in addition to Colton is paying Mix-A-Lot uh, anytime he's covered this song. Um, and we'll mention that a little more in a minute. Um, he uh, released this song under Creative Commons, as he does with most of his songs. Um, for, but the important thing is this is a non-commercial for non-commercial purposes only. So you can pass it around. You can use it, use it as you like, as long as you're not profiting from it, which in this case, Fox clearly is. Um, and historically, Fox does have an issue with music licenses because they have bypassing all of the Ryan Murphy craziness with, you know, Kings of Leon and Dave Grohl aside, um, Glee and Fox as a network have a history of sort of doing the bare minimum on licensing, particularly yeah. with, with Idol and with X Factor and with some of these other shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, 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 what are you thinking about all this? Well, um, I think it's, uh, I, I'd heard, I've not read the article yet, but I understand in a Forbes article, yeah, it's it's breaking that big. Um, that they've they've announced that Colton is. Uh, uh, I think if if you go through, I think again, I haven't read the article. I heard about it secondhand. But um, if you buy the uh, the his baby got back single from iTunes, he's donating all of the proceeds to charity. Um, and the Forbes article was like, well, I wonder if Fox is going to do the same thing with theirs. So I mean, it's just basically, yeah, Fox is getting screwed six ways from Sunday. And they need to do something, and they need to do it very, very quickly. Because basically, they, they're looking like dicks. Yeah, basically what Jonathan Colton has done is basically retitled. He's taken the original track and basically retitled it, saying that it's a cover. It's in the style of the Glee version. So he's covering Sir Mix-A-Lot, covering Glee. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that version, which is he, he has cleverly simply retitled, uh, is the version uh, that will be sold uh, for charity. Uh, nice. And you can do that. I believe it's through the end of February nice. uh, if you would like to uh, to go and take part. And you should be able to do this. It is available on iTunes and Amazon as well. So uh, cool. everybody can uh, protest the show they don't watch. So that is that is interesting. Uh, so that is Do We Care? So uh, one, 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 one to one ratio. I've done very good on the topics. So uh, if you've, you know, been hiding under a rock or anything and bothered to look at your calendar you may have noticed you may have need to buy a new one because it's another <laughs> year uh 2012 has passed and strangely enough there was no apocalypse what were the chances well uh, well exactly um interesting to note as we oh yeah sorry yes oh all right hendrix calm down <laughs> interesting to note as we begin our discussion of uh, the year that was um it is important to recognize that uh adele adele's 21 uh which was the top record of last year uh is actually the top selling record uh of the previous year as well uh so 2011 and 2012 uh adele gets the title now uh it's interesting to point out that the last time this happened was michael jackson's uh thriller in uh, 83 and 84 respectively. And uh, the main difference between then and now is the total number of album sales uh, because uh, Adele crossed Adele has just crossed the border of 10 million 
And by the time uh, all was said and done on Thriller uh, in 1984, it was uh, 24 million. And uh, in addition, he had uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, nipping at his heels, so to speak, uh, in 83 and 84 with Born in the USA. So um, basically, the table was a lot bigger for the music industry uh, the last time around this happened. Uh, so and the fact the fact that Adele is the top selling record for two years in this climate sort of tells you something. Does it not? Does it sort of say that, you know, maybe the product isn't there? What do you guys think? When did it first get released? Do you have an original release date for it? For Adele's 21? Yeah. In the uh, US. Janu- well, in the U.S., it was February. It was the second week of February in 2011. Okay. Um, a couple things. One, the record came out in February. Mm-hmm. But for, for what I seem to remember, it didn't really pick up until it started getting nominated for Grammys. So that thing was like this slow-moving, at least for 2011, it was this slow-moving record that sort of like didn't do great out of the gate, but built an audience and then exploded. Well, I seem to recall Rolling in the Deep was like huge before the record even came out. Um, okay, well, never mind. Check yeah. how much I know about Adele. Well, there was there was uh, there was there was there was a slow build on Rolling in the Deep. Now it's true there may have been a slow build on the record because Rolling in the Deep ran for about five months. My understanding uh, of Adele is pretty much it's yeah. what my wife puts on when she wants me to leave the house. Ah. So, <laughs> Sorry. Um, so no, I mean I'm not really surprised. There's a couple reasons uh, that I'm not completely surprised. I mean I, I I do think it to a certain degree says something about the industry, but. At the same time, I think that she has far more crossover appeal than a lot of the other artists. And again, this could fall back to the Timberlake thing, because part of the reason why she does so well is that she appeals to sort of people that like soul and people that like rock. Um, So she has a very, very bankable cross-marketing, where she reaches across several genres. And it also is a record that could easily get merchandise, you know, TV commercials, TV shows. Um, there's not. It's interesting because there's not sort of so many top forty stations like they were with yeah. the Springsteen and the and the Thriller record. So, to a lesser extent, you know, she's getting played on like the you know the light rock stations that are out there and things. There's not yeah. really a hit radio market. So a lot of this is sort of carrying legs by word of mouth and letting. Um, licensing and getting out there. I think the people at her label knew they had a hit, and I just think that they completely hit a home run in marketing the record to as many different people as possible, and also selling an image of Adele, you know, because she also, uh, the one thing that she did when she won her Grammys is she came off as somebody that was likable. Yeah. Um, And we like our musicians to at least be Coming out of coming, it's a Taylor Swift effect. Coming off of you know Kanye and Usher and all these other people that are constantly sort of have an edge to them, they want someone that they are comfortable with liking. And well, well it's interesting people that you say from that because the fifty could listen to her records. Yeah. Whereas people from eighteen to fifty may not necessarily listen to an Usher record or a Kanye record or a Bieber record. So she's got a bigger age demographic and she's got a bigger cross marketing. Yeah. And Taylor Swift, by the way, was the runner-up in 2012, uh, uh, right really close to Adele's number, um, uh, about somewhere over the neighborhood of uh, 4 million records served. Uh, so uh, 
she, she close, but no cigar. Um, I don't know who the runner up in 2011 was. Um, and yeah. I would not be surprised if it was Taylor Swift then as well. Um, I, think, I think the record buying public is sort of getting, at least with, with numbers, I think they're getting really conservative because I think how many records when, I mean, realistically going to the record store is dead. So yeah. Adele is a perfect artist that you can sell at Target and you can sell at Best Buy because you can't find anything bad and negative to say about it. Yeah. Whereas so many other people that are making records, you will find something. Beaver, it's either like, yo, he's too young or he's a kid artist. You're under One Direction, you're like, oh, they're a boy band. You know, um, you, you, you could say the same almost about Alicia Keys as well, for example, is that she yeah. has a broader kind of appeal as well. But you can't exactly say that about, you know, a Nine Inch Nails, or you can't say that about... T.I., for example, they have a very niched audience where she has, I think, a general broader audience and sort of works in the same way that Dusty Springfield worked or um, Amy Winehouse would have worked if she didn't yeah. move her way into the ground. You know, it's sort of um, not enough actual pop records. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong. The, the, they're, it's, a, it's, it's an OK record. It's not horrible. It's just one of those things that you've heard so often you want to run screaming. Um, I don't actually need to hear it because I've heard it, you know, but I I think that's part of it is I think that she's got a broad enough sort of commercial appeal that they can sell it anywhere. I think the record's available in more places. You could could buy the Adele record at Starbucks. You could buy the Adele record at, you know, The Gap. You could buy the Adele record at Target or your favorite record store or online or, you know, at – some styly, you know, perfume place. You know, it's one of those things you could buy in so many different outlets in so many different places that it sort of defies a niche audience. So, well, which, which, what do you, what do you think about all this? Well, I, I, I think, uh, I, I think Rob hit a lot of it on the head. I, I'd also add that um, people love a uh, a success and comeback story when you consider that she had her uh, vocal cord surgery. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, came back for the Grammys and then basically kicked the ass at the Grammys. And then, you know, so people love that stuff. So so not only is she likable, not only, uh, you know, is it is it a good album, um, but, you know, she she's she's got a great story behind it. So why wouldn't you then go out and go, oh, God, I got to get that album. She was amazing. Right. So yeah. so I, I think that also feeds into it as well. Yep. So uh, just to, just for the stats here, uh, for those of you who keep score with these things, uh, I don't know why you've waited two two weeks to listen to us, but uh, just so you keep up with these. Uh, so Adele did somewhere in the neighborhood of about four point four million. Uh, Taylor Swift is the runner up with three point one uh, for Red, which it's important to note that the Taylor Swift record uh, was <laughs> only out in release for about three months of this year. Uh, so, so that by itself, within three months, it almost caught the top selling record of the year. And, and to be fair, you know, the other thing that Adele was very smart to do too, or her handlers, is they realized that that record was so much so big in crossover appeal that they needed to cross it over to as many places as possible. So, yeah. it was one of the best selling Skrillex remixes as well. Yeah. Um, slightly more impressive here, if you go down the list, um, One Direction, and I believe that came out in November, uh, was number three with uh, 1.6 million. Uh, Sorry, Rob. 
Sorry, Rob. Sorry, Rob. Um, you know, uh, what was it? Munford and Sons also out for two months, uh, did about uh, $1.5 billion. So, you know, basically your top record of the year came out, oh, two years ago. Yeah. And uh, the other four of your top five came out within the last yeah. three months of the year. And So the, what does that tell you? Well, the other thing that it tells me is that the one thing about the Adele record is when you listen to it, it's an album. Yeah. It's a whole album. I mean, the idea of the album is kind of gone. The same thing with Mumford and Sons. It's a full album. Uh, and I think Taylor Swift as well. And I think that as much as people like this idea of an instant one or two songs and make your own record sort of thing, yeah. I think the fact that she made a record that you can listen to from start to finish also played in her favor. Um, that it's sort of being in the right place at the right time in the right climate. You know, she made an album. She has good crossover appeal. Um, the American during a time of recession, the people that were buying records were middle class or affluent white people that wanted sort of a conservative, safe person that didn't sing about anything that wasn't really going to rock the boat and also wanted something sort of that they could identify with. And I think she touches on all of that. Well, the other thing is Adele, uh, when, when Amy was still about, uh, Adele was the safer version of Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Uh, it was basically Amy Winehouse without all the drinking. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you have a couple of those in the UK. You have, you had, you uh, basically Amy Winehouse alternatives. Um, you, you had Adele, you had uh, Paloma Faith. Uh, yeah. you had, uh, you had, the, you had the, actually for a while, they even lumped the, uh, the, the, the lead singer of, uh, Noisettes in with that class, yeah, uh, the, the safer Amy alternatives. And I keep mentioning that band, but hey, hey, Tuffley, hey, Tuffley, yeah. Noisettes, Noisettes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Noisettes. Yeah, but then they for a while all, sort of soon. had this white soul thing going on too. Yeah. You know, there was a whole resurgence of that. Um, but, but another interesting stat here, uh, and something Rob, you'll you'll find interesting. Uh, eight uh, vinyl uh, uh, sales on vinyl went eighteen percent uh, year to year uh, this year. Um, the the went top up record, or down? I'm sorry. Yeah, it went up. Okay. God, so well, there's more up. of it. it. There is more of them um, now. Unfortunately, and I will apologize for this in advance. The top selling vinyl record was uh, Jack White. Well, it's because he presses his own records. Yes, he presses his own records. And I would be interested to see how much uh, of the vinyl resurgence is completely on the behalf of Third Man Records, uh, because he was selling the hell out of some vinyl this year. I would be interested to see that. Um, it uh, it actually bumped uh, the Abbey Road reissue. Yeah, you know, uh, I do want to think. Wow. When we're talking about 2012, I think the one big thing that happened in 2012 that a lot of our contemporaries that do this on a much larger scale have sort of overlooked is I think the thing about 2012, it's the year that record labels and record promotion people really sold this idea. They took this sort of old school nostalgic kick of buying the record and what records were, and they turned it into a fucking cash cow because you had so many books about old vintage records. And then you had, so many movies, if you think about it, that had people playing records in them. Um, and then you had a record industry on top of it sort of selling this sort of like hipster idea that you have to buy an album, a vinyl album, which is why you could reprint Sonic Youth on 20-grain vinyl and charge 50 bucks for it and people would buy it. So I think that 
one of the things that came out of this past year is sort of this idea that, you know, you have to buy vinyl to be yeah. cool. And the sort of like the way that it came to the forefront of marketing. And it's almost like they really wanted everyone to shove digital under the rug, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to watch is that sort of, I mean, I wanted the people to think that you can have both in perfect harmony yeah. and it's fine, but I'm really surprised at just like the number of people that I would buy music for during the course of the year for, for, for gifts yeah. made it a point to say this year, I want it on vinyl. Yeah. Now um, here's the question. And, and this is something that, you know, I know which can relate to. You know, is it in danger of going the 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 comics direct market route in the '90s, where it just got to to a frenzy and then imploded, basically, um, uh, as a specialty sort of collector's market? I don't think so, because there's so many turntables out there right now that there'll always be a market for it. And the one thing is that even when vinyl was going away, people were still had record players. Yeah. Um. So I don't think it's going anywhere. I think the 12 inch single, as we know it, is dead. But I yeah. think. You know, and there's so many other records that can get put out um, that haven't sort of been on vinyl or been because now you can sort of, I guess, re-release vinyl on a higher quality of vinyl. So it's almost like you're re-releasing old records on a new, newer, finer vinyl, vinyl to get a better sound. So they can remine old catalogs. Yeah. And I think that as long as they've sold this idea to the consumer that that's the way to go. You know, you got guys on Wall Street now that think collecting records is cool, you know, whereas, yeah. you know, the suits are buying records now. You know, you go to a record store and the people that you're looking through vinyl with aren't people like you and me and Widge anymore. It's guys yeah. in like suits that are like, oh, I'm going to drop 50 bucks for a Duke Ellington record because it's cool. I rem Although here's the thing, Rob, I remember the suits getting really excited about Superman 75 and not for the reason that anyone else did. Yeah, well. Yeah. And what, which, which, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the year? Uh, well, uh, the year as a whole, before we start getting into, you know, favorites and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, what, what I was struck by is that there, uh, there was a lot of, I thought, good music out there. Um, but I think to answer your question of, uh, you know, what happened when you've got, you know, your top selling albums either came out the year before or in the last bit of the year is that you have a lot of um, uh, albums that came out for the first, you know, three quarters of the year that are more niche than normal. Yeah. Um, and that they don't have a lot of crossover appeal um, unless you have, you know, people that are weird like us that will listen to anything. Um, I think I think what you need is some way of taking something that is, uh, you know, something that is more, I, I don't know, niche. I, I don't even want to look at. So do at... you think, so let me, let me, let me turn this a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do, so do you think the record industry needs something like tentpole albums? Well, I think the record Like the industry... studios do where they string the independents along with, 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 you know. Well, what, what I think you need is I think you need smart marketing that basically you need, you need the uh, record equivalent of Iron Man, right? I mean, yeah. Iron, Iron Man is the character that nobody knew who the hell he was. They they just went, what, the song? And they, they Marvel was smart enough to make it appeal to, uh, you know, a, a vast audience. And I think what we're seeing with the music industry is the same thing with the movie industry, which is if your fan base is the only people that are going to show up, then you're not going to make any money. Um, you know, like like the example I always use on the movie side of things is, 
Uh, if your fan base showing up was enough to carry you, then we would have, uh, you know, Serenity 3 in theaters now, but we don't. Um, so you have to be smart about your marketing and your placement. Um, and I think that needs to, uh, that needs to happen with the music industry. I'm not quite sure how, I mean, because, you know, there's a big difference between say, um, you know, you mentioned it before, Joy Formidable and Iron Man. I mean, how do you, how do you bridge that gap and, and get people more interested in your stuff? And especially now, part of the other problem too is, um, that back in the day, which was Wednesday, um, you had Thriller. There was like, there was no, there was no Spotify. You didn't have 15 yeah. million other songs. Well, see, uh, this was, this is the point by, by mentioning Thriller. Yeah. Because the whole time Thriller, and, and it's an important stat that the last time that happened was Thriller. Yeah. But the other thing you need to remember is when Thriller was out, it was selling 24 million records. And he also had Springsteen nipping at his heels. Right. Well, but but I mean, there there was there was less, you know, for example, uh, one of the bands I'm going to talk about is is a surf instrumental band from Wales. Yeah. I mean, how the hell would I have found them before? And they are now competing with everything else for my attention yeah. and my coin. Right. So mm-hmm. so I think what's happening is what what I would be fascinated to see is if you adjusted for inflation. Um, and you took out a little bit for, let's assume, you know, piracy, which you didn't have yeah. back in the day, except for taping, home taping. Uh, uh, but if you took that out of the equation, um, is it the same amount of money being spent, but it's being spent at, over such a broad base Yeah. The, over so many different labels from everyone from Jonathan Colton all the way up to Adele? Um, is it is it the same money just spread out way, what's the, way? Yeah, thin? what's the spread? Yeah. I think it's also interesting to mention price point um, because uh, to, to make the 1983 comparison again, the 83, 84 comparison again, uh, the average record price uh, for, a, for a vinyl album was what? 795. And we know this because of Tom Petty's contract neg- renegotiation, 795. Uh, I think the average cassette price, I think cassettes were charging a little more, maybe 995, but 795, 995 was about your average. And, uh, and now um, the difference being that we don't know what the average price point is um, because, you know, Amazon is still experimenting. Uh, you know, iTunes is still pretty resolute at nine ninety nine. Uh, there are some things that, that that go up or down, but basically that's what it is. So basically you're looking at nine ninety nine, five ninety nine, seven ninety nine. So we're still at seven ninety five and 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 nine ninety nine basically, uh, w- w- which depends on who you go to um and and for a lot of people you're paying the same amount but you're not actually getting anything you can hold which i think may be a hang-up for some people yeah and that's that that's what takes us back to 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 the advantage of auto rep um but but i i think the price point may be still an issue uh that we still haven't refined what the price point should be for digital um it's also interesting because this is the first year that digital overtook physical sales, uh, which is an important distinction to make as well. Um, but I, I'm just curious as we go further along, are, are are you going to see experimentation with price points? Are we settling on price points? What what, what do we think is going to happen there? Well, I think the price points fluctuate based on where the record is. Yeah. Because they could put out a Dell record at Best Buy or Target for seven ninety nine, 
and just sell a few more washer and dryers. But if you put it online or somewhere else, it needs that money to survive. Yes, and it's important to mention in the case of the Adele record, for about 75% of the time of the Adele record's been selling like hotcakes, it has not been discounted anywhere. Which is which is an important point to note too. So well, by a chain, but independent stores and things probably have. Probably have, but if but for example, iTunes and Amazon very rarely put that thing on sale. which is an interesting thing to point out too. So we, as I make the point about price points, it's also fair to mention that the thing that sold the most rarely did. Yeah. So that's interesting as well. Um, moving on to, uh, I guess our, our, our particular favorites. Um, what, uh, what, uh, what, what things, uh, what things did you, did you find uh, that you, that you came back to and enjoyed for the year? Wedge. Uh, oh, oh shit. Okay. Uh, I, I have, <laughs> I have a few things. Um, I, I tried to rank these and then I finally just gave up. And don't I, rank, don't rank your children. No, no, I, I know. And I, and I tried to keep it to 10 and then I just gave up. So, uh, I'll try to blitz through this real quick. Shotgun I, it. Go. Yeah, shotgunning. And, and I apologize in advance for, cause I think some of these I, uh, got from hearing you guys talk about them. So, uh, first of all, singles. Um, I like, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Jack Wobb. I don't know. Uh, they're out of Britain. Uh, the singles blinding. It's, uh, it's kind of like nice smooth vocals and kind of like a smooth dubstepy kind of thing. This was, this was my year for listening to lots of noise. Um, so you'll notice that in a lot of my selections. Um, also I enjoyed, uh, Eclipse Blue by No Such Thing. Um, with, uh, this was with, uh, uh, Kazuo Makino from, uh, Blonde Redhead. Uh, and of course, that's out of Los Angeles. Um, the Arctic Monkeys single "Are You Mine" uh, was quite nice. Um, it's kind of exactly what I want from a single from them. It just sort of shows up and does its thing and really doesn't give a shit, which is what I like. Um, I liked "Comeback Kid" by Sleigh Bells kind of more than I liked the uh, album "Reign of Terror." The "Reign of Terror" was more like a very angry Cocteau Twins which is yeah. not really what I wanted from Sleigh Bell, so it may have been my own expectations getting in the way, but I love the shit out of that song. Um, yeah, and, and I will add, by the way, uh, since we didn't mention it, uh, Sleigh Bells, since they canceled their foreign tours, uh, they are working on a record now, and uh, supposedly they may be able to get it done uh, by the end of the year. Cool. So you, may, so you may yet see a Sleigh Bells album three years in a row. Cool, cool. Um, also, uh, I must say, uh, Amanda Palmer's do it with a rock star, uh, lots of replay on that. It's just a really great song. And, and it was, um, I, I like a lot of what's on that album, but I, I couldn't put it on my album list. Like the bed song is fucking devastating. Um, but do it with a rock star was just on major replay on my iTunes for a long time. Uh, also Alice Russell's heartbreaker. Uh, it's kind of like Sharon Jones reminds me of that a little bit, just a nice kind of steady groove going on. Um, also the new single by St. Vincent cheerleader, um, listening to that, I feel like I've been alternately pounded ground down and then coddled at the same time, which is kind of what I want from a female vocalist at times. Uh, you can make of that what you will. Um, sorry, toughly, uh, this ladder is ours, the single by joy formidable. Yeah. Uh, I love something that starts off orchestral and then just launches into rock pop noise, you know, euphoria. I really dig it. Um, also, uh, Tame Impala seems like we only go backwards. 
Um, I have no idea why this works for me. It's just like the slow, trippy Roxville thing, and I dig the shit out of it. Well, uh, it's, it's it's in the Roxy, it's in the uh, the Foxy Gen, uh, yes. sort of playbook, sort of, sort of, yes. uh, sort of, sort sort of flaming lips, sort yeah. of mid mid yeah. error flaming lips, kind of a jam. So yeah, 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 yeah less, uh, yeah, kind of like flaming lips on lithium, I think. So that's a good point. Yeah. Um, uh, also, Friday Night by the Busy Twist. Uh, there are uh, some London producers that have uh, they're working with musicians out of Ghana. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a great single about uh, just the the um, an African twist on the whole. Uh, oh, my God. It's, living with you is like so awful and I don't have to deal with you. I, I love the line. When I come, you say you sick. When I go, you say you well. It's just perfect. Um, and lastly, uh, for singles, Radio by Dark Horses. Yeah. Uh, I, I have this thing about a wall of sound with a female vocalist behind mm -hmm. it. It's a trend. Um, uh, I just want to say for the mix, uh, Knife Party put out a, a 30 minute mix called Clever Title Like Dead Mouse Would Use. Yeah. Um, and of course they, they came out of Pendulum, which I found of course, after they broke up and it's really, really good. Um, as far as single songs go, honorable mention goes to DJ Earworm just like every year because his shine brighter 2012, um, what is State it? State of like, pop. Yeah. State of pop. Just really, really good. Um, Really quickly, three EPs, which I split out from the albums because it's different to do an EP from an album. Yeah. If, if you have a top 50, then you can sneak them in, but otherwise, no. Uh, uh, Iconic by Icona Pop out of Sweden. Yes. Yeah, it's just electro-poppy, occasionally dubstepy kind of dance nonsense. It's perfect. Um, also, Dum uh, Dum Girls' End of Days. Again, yes. female vocalist, solid wall of sound, dig it. And as I mentioned before, the Welsh surf instrumental band, uh, the EP is called Four, and the band is called uh, Newell, and it's, it's spelled Y space N I W L. I think I've mentioned them before, uh, yeah. because they're weird. Um, and oh, and my favorite single of the year was uh, was Cough Cough by Everything Everything. Um, the album Arc just came out this month, but the single was released in 2012. So it yeah. That's yep. a that's a fucking great single, um, and that's and that's also tied up in international release fun. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, not, yeah. So so there you go. Coming soon. Noisettes and everything, everything. So, um, all right. So uh, very quickly, albums. Oh God. Um, no more idols by Chase and Status. Uh, that basically producers they brought in vocalists on uh, several of the tracks. Like yeah. Plan B and Tiny Tempa and CeeLo. Really, really nice. Um, also, uh, Future This by The Big Pink. Uh, again, Wall of Sound, Pop Rock, very nice. Uh, Rob turned me on to Big Gigantic. So not, their album Nocturnal, they're based out of Boulder. Uh, it's kind of electronic dubstepy stuff with a live saxophone. Fucking brilliant. Um, Blood Red Shoes in Time to Voices. Uh, they're out of Brighton. It's a very listenable rock pop. It's like a, it's like a tweaked, rockier sort of metric sound. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll also go with uh, "Passage" by Exit Music. This is uh, a Alexa Palladino from Boardwalk Empire. She's on vocals. It's a duo, and yeah. it's sort of slow and grinding and brooding and churning. It's really nice. Um, uh, also, uh, Animal Collective, uh, Centipede Hertz. They sound like the inside of my head. That's all you need to know. 
Um, the mess we've made by Bad Veins. They're out of Cincinnati. It's kind of like pop, strongly infused with strings, and I am a complete sucker for strings. Um, uh, MTMTMK by the very best, which is excellent. Uh, again, London producers with a singer out of Malawi. Um, uh, I gotta uh, mention uh, Awesome Wave by Alt J. Just a fucking trip. Um, Nikki and the Dove's Instinct, which is kind of like what happens when you put Kate Bush through a dance blender. Um, also, Matt uh, Ulary, I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, out, has an album out called, I think it's a double album, called By a Little Light. It's kind of like a jazz feel. He's a composer and a bassist out of Chicago. It's not really straight jazz, but it's just jazz, strings, horns, really nice. Um, and, uh, oh, and the heavies, Glorious Dead. It's, yeah. it's, it's what would happen if you sliced off a portion of Quentin Tarantino's id and then orchestrated it. Uh, but my favorite album of the year is Pandora's Piñata by uh, Diablo Swing Orchestra. <laughs> this is a Sweden swing metal band. It's basically what would happen if Mike Patton fronted a combination of Firewater and Mr. Bungle and they kidnapped an opera singer to go on a crime spree. Uh, it's brilliant. Uh, entrance song, listen to Exit Strategy of a Wrecking Ball. If that doesn't rock your chains, then I have no idea who the fuck you are. Um, but yeah, so there was just a lot of lot of stuff that, and a lot of albums that I didn't like the whole album, but these were the ones that I was just yeah. really going back to. And like you're saying, as a whole album, I could just listen to over and over again and be quite happy with. So, all right, I'm, I'm shutting up now. Okay, Rob. Over um, well, I'm having one of these moments where I've completely forgotten every record I listened to last year. Um, <laughs> This happens for several reasons. One, when you DJ out, you have to like hear so many different sounds that your brain melts. And yeah. then two, I have to find 52 weeks of radio shows and try to condense them into stuff I like. Um, so Try doing it at once every two weeks. That helps. No, I mean, it's like... And <laughs> nice. I literally... it's This is like the first full year where I've had with the show where I get records like significant record label, like servicing yeah. of stuff. And it's like, I'm, I, I almost get too, I, I, I'm complaining. I get too much. Um, There's a lot I of can't stuff. Keep up. No, I can't keep up with it now. It's I know. just, um, it's overwhelming. It's to the point now where I'm about ready to throw my hands up and just like go to an igloo. Um, which is amazingly frustrating. So I'm going to say this. Hit the Eskimo, Rob. Yeah. No, I'm not. Please. Uh, <laughs> when Rob the Eskimo gets here, everybody's going to jump for joy. I, I have to say, I do love a couple of these. You're going to know because I've, I've gone on and on and on about them. But I, I did really, really love the Best Coast record. Yeah. And um, the first record on the first song on that record is just like so beautiful. That in our that in our place record is just it's just great. Um, it's catchy. It does all the it does all of the Phil Spectorism things I like in a pop record. It sounds sunny. Um, and it's just it so does damn... the jangly sad thing well, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's just yeah. And when I met them, I thought I wasn't sure what I was getting, but they were really, really, really nice. So um, score points. Uh, for that because you know they're awesome yeah and um a wild card in there is the the air soundtrack that they did for uh the malaise movie the trip to the moon 
they did a whole album of songs inspired by trip to the moon um which i really really liked uh, i wasn't sure what to expect from that but uh i yeah, did like this, it just curious was this in the same series that uh british sea power did a soundtrack to a film no a this is just this is just them and they've done another one too since yeah. No, this is just kind of like it just came out. Uh, the Don's Deloon, they were commissioned to do it, and they did oh, okay. it. Okay, I thought this um, was part of a series or something. No, okay. um, so I I do like that. Um, I love the David Byrne St. Vincent record. Um, it it's two things that shouldn't work together, but it totally does. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she got David Byrne to play nice with others. You know, the fact that he made a record with another person that didn't complain the entire time or they had no arguments was is, yeah. is pretty amazing. I don't know how that and, happens. And and from all quarters, they, they got along very well. And I think, are they are they still touring together right now? Or yeah, they... they're touring. The record just had a new single out. Yeah. So they're they're going to do another tour, a wave of tours on that, which is, you know. Great. Um, kind of amazing yeah. that, that, that they're doing that. So, um that's kind of cool. And I do like, uh, I, I, I like parts. Now here's the thing. The Slave Bells record, I was the witch. I did like crush and I did like comeback kid. Uh, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I saw their live show and they absolutely brought it. Yeah. Um, those songs live just were great. So I, I do like that, uh, quite a lot. And, um, but did it justify the extra guitarist? I think so, because live it added a little more depth to it. Um, okay. I like the Matt and Kim record called Tonight. Um, Let's Go is just so darn, like, there's very few times that a pop record is sort of like a call to arms, and you're like, yeah, let's go. You know, it's like the drop everything you're doing and go type record, and Let's Go is one of those records. So I do like that. Um, the Which touched upon it, I Don't Care by Icona Pop may be my favorite record of the year for much of the same reasons. Um, it's just lots and lots of fun. So I do want to, want to recommend that. I also love the Richard Hawley record. I thought yeah. it was amazing. Uh, every record that guy makes just, uh, for me is dynamite, um, in my book. And, um, definitely the more talented I think of the, of the, of the pulp musicians, uh, the metric record. I never really loved any of the metric records until this one. And there's a song in there called dream. So real that I really yeah. like a lot. And um, but I really like the metric record again, a band that totally uh, lived above my expectations live. And uh, now they've got the acoustic EP out that is equally just as great. Um, And my friend Widge may be getting that in the mail soon, but I might be wrong. Uh, um, I mentioned Best Best Coast Animal Collective, the same thing. Um, It's very hard for me to figure out. And I love their last record. And this one is completely different than the record before. So I wasn't sure I was going to like it. But it's just so I, – I, I can't even put my finger on why I like it, but it's just so weird and different and fun that I did like it. So um, I like Applesauce a lot too, which is yeah. a, a song off the record. Yep. And they're touring, um, which is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that. And um, uh, single-wise, I did like the uh, Boys Noise, This Is What You Want single that came out towards the end of last year. And also um, the Crystal Castles uh, Sad Day record just came out sort of, sort of near the end of the year as well. I like both of those uh, quite a lot. Uh, the Ravenettes record, um, I love the Ravenettes. They sort of do that 
wall of sound um 50s 60s girl group surf band jesus and mary chain sound all thrown together um quite quite great and um specter who don't have an album out in the u.s but they have a song called never walk away um uh they're they're great um they're just fun. It's, it's pretty nervy, but Never Fade Away is sort of this like really catchy, anthemic British pop song. It's kind of like brings back the old school Brit pop kind of sound. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the Noel Gallagher record, or the Liam Gallagher record, I love that as well. I thought that was really well done and overlooked. Um, as Although I didn't like it as much as the the first one, I did uh, I have grown to like the the new vaccines record. Um, Teenage Icon is is really fun if you want just a nice two minute throwaway single. I, I like that. Um, I really liked uh, this album called Lonerism by Tame Impala. It's sort of this nice spread out sort of sound uh, of things. I, I like that a lot. And then. Um, I've always had this strange fascination with the band Granddaddy. I've always really liked them. Um, Jason Little made a record this year uh, called Department of Disappearance, and uh, I like that quite a lot as well. Uh, so I do want to recommend that. I also like the Amanda Palmer record, which I know uh, Widge mentioned. And um, single-wise, you know, there's a lot of different singles and stuff I like. I really did like the – Tuffley, have you heard the cover of uh, – Swingin' Party by Kindness. Uh, no, I haven't. Kindness is a like British Berlin guy. He's um, British, but he lives in Berlin. And yeah. he records under the name of Kindness, and he reinvented Swingin' Party by The Replacements as sort of like a, a shuffling dance floor record. Yeah. It's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I did like that. Uh, the Holly record, as I mentioned, uh, I did like the the Soul Saver record a little more than I thought I would too. Yeah. Uh, which is Dave Gahan singing. Uh, Soul Savers are a British production team, and uh, Dave Gahan sings on the record. Um, he's the vocalist on it, uh, so I did like that. And I know I'm overlooking like ten thousand records. I'm completely gonna remember after I hang, after I stop. Oh, the Saint Etienne music uh, album, Words and Music. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, I think everything they do is really good. Sort of bringing back the 60s pop thing, bringing it around full circle. Um, yeah. So I think I think that's going to do me, but I, I okay. could be completely wrong because I, I will think of other things the minute you mention your list as well. Yeah. I'll remember that too. Yeah, see, this is this is why I hate it when I host because I usually try to leave myself last. And well, you then could I have, have you could have went ahead of me. It's okay. That's okay. No, no, no that's cool. Um, so uh, I'll start off with uh, w- with the Delta Spirit record, which was, I believe, self titled, uh, the third album, uh, which had California on it, which was a fantastic single. Um, that was a really good record. Um, I will also second for the heavy. Uh, for the Glorious Dead, I will also second the Amanda Palmer record. So, folks, all three of us when re- all three of us recommend records, go. You should go and and get them and give them throw a coin at them. Uh, so you should do that. Um, I will say I, I I I I do feel like like the Grammy people might get it right once. Uh, album of the year is actually interesting in 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 the fact that 
the album of the year. I think I own all of them. Uh, so I, what are I, they? Because I don't remember them. I, I can't argue with it. Um, I well, I know Frank Ocean on it, and I know Fun's on it. Uh, Frank Ocean and Fun, and I think Grizzly Bear. So yeah, I forgot about Grizzly Bear. That's a great record. So um, yeah, but the Frank Ocean record, um, I I I am pleasantly surprised that I'm into, uh, because he's he's with the Odd Future guys, and I'm not. I, they kind of feel juvenile to me. I think I've mm-hmm. I've gotten to that age where you know that the the pranky jackass sort of thing is sort of you know juvenile, but uh, Frank Ocean is amazingly stylistic and very grown up for the group of guys he hangs out with. Um, and, and I, I find that, I find that amazingly interesting. And the channel orange record is, is fantastic. Um, uh, let's see, uh, the Santa gold record. I can't believe, I can't believe the Santa gold record never came up. Uh, but master of my make believe, um, is I just kept going back to that record, uh, all year long. And it was kind of easy to do because desperate youth was like everywhere. Uh, which is also surprising that something I latch on to actually gets played a lot outside of my car. So, so that's interesting. Um, the garbage record, not your kind of people, not a whole lot of people found that one, but, uh, but it's really good. Um, and, uh, very interesting to kind of sink your teeth into, um, the, uh, Regina Spectre record, what we saw from the cheap seats. I was kind of hoping more people would latch onto that and it's still got time. So. Uh, but, but yeah, Regina Spector, uh, she's really, really great. Uh, and that album, that album was a bit of a return to form, um, because the last record, uh, was, which was mostly Jeff Lynn produced, didn't feel right. I guess it was good, but it didn't feel like, like a Regina Spector record. And this one feels a little more, more in that vein, uh, of her previous records. So, uh, if you've been staying away because of, oh, Jeff Lynn produced it. You should go back to uh, what we saw from the cheap seats because it's really nice. Yeah. Um, as far as singles, I don't think you could escape grime, so you sort of have to. Accept... Oh shit! That's the record I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think you kind of have to go with uh, Genesis on yeah. that. Uh, it's the record you can't escape from, so you cannot run it. So let it absorb you. Yeah, I, I like that record a lot. Yeah. Uh, the two door Cinema Club record, Beacon. Beacon, yeah. Uh, which is still making the rounds, and you're gonna hear these guys at Coachella, so it, it's a fantastic record. Um, it's always a good year. I always find it's a very good year when the Hives put out a record. Uh, Lux Hives, uh, which was wonderful rockin' record uh from them, which is no less than what you'd expect from them. Um, the, uh, there's a single from a, a group called Electric Guest, uh, that Danger Mouse produced, uh, the track's called This Head I Hold, uh, which was a really fun kind of throwback sort of Motowny kind of track, uh, that came out early in the year. That was sort of fun. And, uh, the Fiona Rapple record, uh, which, uh, I will actually say Daredevil. I like the track more than the album. Um, although I have kind of a soft spot for Jonathan because it's Fiona Apple bitching about a boyfriend because that's the kind of thing we want from Fiona Apple. Um, but, uh, the Fiona Apple record was great. Um, and, uh, what did I forget? I forgot something. Oh, no, yeah. I also, I also like the Lee Ronaldo record a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention that. Um, uh, but I will also mention uh, the record from Stars called The North uh, that uh, people are just now starting to latch on to. And it's a bit of a it, – it's 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 kind of a I, – I think the best way to put it is it kind of sounds a lot like new you would expect New Order to if they were making a new record in a good way. 
Um, it, it's a bit of it, it's a bit of dancey, dancey rock with uh, with techno and a bit of shoegaze to it, which is really interesting. Uh, so uh, check that out from the north. Uh, stars uh, from Stars. It's called the North. And I think. Oh, I will mention the Bobby Womack single. Please forgive my heart because that was really, really, really nice. And uh, also the Beach House record, uh, which was called Bloom, which it's yeah. I guess it's my turn to pimp the Beach House record, uh, which was which was also fantastic. So I think that's uh, that's my list. I'm sticking to it. Um, and uh, I think that'll do it. Uh, any any last thoughts on uh, the year that was? Uh, we lost a lot of cool people, but you can listen to all the other podcasts to figure out who they were. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Our, our, our Marvel universe, Tome of the dead. If you just go back to all the other oh. shows. Oh, wow. Uh, no, I, I would, I would just say that I, uh, 2012 is the year that I completely gave myself over to Spotify and, uh, lost a lot of time. It's it's I really feel like um what is it Betty mm-hmm. and Barney Hill I've just lost a lot of time in Spotify See, waking that's up why. <laughs> waking up in my car on the other side of the hill you know feeling like I've been probed that's Spotify um, yeah are you sure because you are in Georgia yeah no, no that's true uh, it is Georgia but yeah. uh, but no and and because of that I've been able to just find a, a a lot of new music so it it feels like the Napster days you know yeah um and and of course, this is this uh, this is sort of the year that I've been more and more into uh, loud, noisy kind of uh, sounds. So that's why you're you're hearing me, yeah. you know, mention Excision and Skrillex and Bass Nectar and all this stuff that basically can distract the parts of my brain that are useless while I try to get work done. So yeah. And and by the way, just to, to go back to the running theme here, uh, Daft Punk has a new album coming out this year, Excellent. which we also didn't mention. So. New Daft Punk, which isn't a soundtrack to a film, which will be nice. Uh, but uh, I, I, and on that bombshell, I, I, I think we will draw this edition to a close. Um, if you enjoy any of the music uh, or would like to check out any of the music that we mentioned on this show, two ways you can do that. Uh, I think at this point, um, I, I frequently put out a something called Randomizer. That shows up once every two weeks that uh, you, you can enjoy. And uh, I try to find new stuff and other things that happen to be stuck in my brain that I have to get out. Uh, Widge has been uh, taken to uh, doing the same thing. Now, is, is, is it no, what is it the zero? Yeah, volume zero. Volume it's... zero. Yeah. Yes. So look for that. And uh, you can check out Rob uh, every week, uh, kehx.org. Uh, uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, you can catch juxtaposition. Uh, you can catch the live show on Wednesday nights. And uh, are they still archived for two weeks? Two weeks, yeah. Yeah, you can still check them out archived every two weeks. Uh, you can uh, also follow. Uh, can you follow juxtaposition on uh, Facebook as well? Uh, you can like it, yes. Yes, you can like Facebook. Um, now, the thing that, and I, I love Spotify. Don't get me wrong, but when I lose thirteen minutes of my day, like when Witch told me about Spotify coming in the U.S. And it was eight in the morning when I started because I got out up early after going to the gym. And then literally 12 hours later, I'm still on the fucking thing. It's like crack to me. Yeah. I'm going to get on it more, but I'm just warning you. It was crack for me. <laughs> yes, yes. Everyone I don't know. Crack. No, I don't know how you do it. I mean, it's just <laughs> Jesus. I mean, they, they, there's, there's, 
the great thing about Spotify is there are now more things that aren't on Spotify than are more things that are on Spotify than aren't, which you couldn't say when it started. Yeah. And it's Jesus. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm amazingly complicated to find at uh, at Tuffley. Uh, you can also follow me on uh, Facebook in the same way, in the same highly evolved, non-creative way. By We're all on Twitter, Tuffley. right? You could follow me that way. Um, Widge, uh, they can find you on Twitter. How? Uh, I am just Widget with two T's on Twitter. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook. Uh, it's... Uh, just search for John Widget Robinson, and I will be there. And you can also, you know, dial, type in a URL, uh, needcoffee.com. Uh, yep. if, if you're lost by any of this, if all this, ooh, technology is confusing, you can still do that. Uh, Rob, uh, I, know you're, I know you're on Facebook with Juxtaposition, right? Both. I have my page. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I did one for the show. And then um, also one on Twitter. I've also got a page on, on, on just a general me page on Twitter. So go. Yeah. Cool. Rob underscore Levy. Yeah. And if you'd like to uh, help support uh, the continuation of this show and that other three hour thing that we do and some of the other things, which, how do we do that? Uh, well, there's a couple ways. Um, first you could go to needcoffee.com slash support um, and set up an easy recurring PayPal thing. Uh, that helps us keep the lights on. Uh, or if you like any of the music that we've talked about and you want to uh, to go to Amazon and buy it, um, if you're going to do that anyway, do it using needcoffee.com slash Amazon. That takes you to the front page of Amazon um, like you, well, went to the front page of Amazon. And the difference is here, um, we get kickbacks for that, uh, which helps pay for things. Uh, so we thank and, you in advance. And Amazon UK as well. Uh, we, we, we actually, yes. If you go to needcoffee.com slash Amazon UK, uh, all one word, Amazon UK, uh, that will take you to the Amazon UK front page. That is indeed true. Sorry. And, and you can go ahead and buy the Noisettes record there, folks, in the UK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is going to be your new, the Crooked Vultures, isn't it? This is going to be the... <laughs> That's probably going to be true. And, and... And for the record, uh, if you do uh, set up a recurring PayPal payment, we currently don't have auto-rip for the site, uh, but we're working on it. Yes, so you'll have to, you know, get your rocks quotes the old-fashioned way. That'll do it for this edition of The Soundboard. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Au revoir. Noisettes. Soon. Soon, label. Soon. And, and we're stopping.